What up, my friends? It is Wednesday again, and here we are with quite an awesome full house of spidery friends. First of all, first and foremost, our honored and special guest. Oh, I am hearing some echo back now. Maybe that's on the Rachel side. She muted. Cool. Yeah, I talk loud. (laughs) Anyway, we got all these good people here. And in particular, our honored guest of the evening is Davin or Nivad, master of backwards typing, astrologer, artist, and many other interesting things that we may find out about tonight. If you're part of our Telegram communities, you likely already are familiar with Davin. But if not, this is his debut on a vibrant in, in full. He has called in before, told us some great stories when we had, um, what's his name? Oh my gosh. The guy from Chant It Down, Loomis. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good vibrant. And this is a particularly fun episode number 44. It's like dissonant shows up right when I say 44. <laughs> cool. So in the house, we got Mario of Symbolic Studies, Slick Dissident. Rachel just dipped, but she'll be back, I betcha. And of course, Davin. So what's up, everybody? Welcome, my friends. And how are you doing, Davin? There you go. I had you muted. I mute everybody at the beginning. I forgot to undo it. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, I am solid. Jinx! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had a good solstice, uh, super high energy. I find myself like waking up with the sun and it doesn't matter how late I went to bed. I'm just not going back to sleep. And <laughs> luckily that's working out for me. I just came back from the movie theater because it's my dad's birthday today and uh, he wanted to see the new Top Gun movie. So that was hilarious. And uh, <laughs> here I am. You want to know? Okay. Since I'm already on the subject, let me just say. I I know not everybody can agree on cosmology of the shape of the earth, and that is fine. I don't can claim to know what it is either. But in the very beginning of this movie, after they had a commercial where they made fun of humans for used to be monkeys and uh, for used to thinking the earth was flat, they did this gag where Tom Cruise is flying his airplane and he's like getting bossed away from uh, his mission by the commanding officers like, get back down here, pilot. And he starts acting like he can't here and like the radio is breaking up and he ah, ah, hear that, ah, but he's faking it and then his little henchman on the ground says to the commander oh yeah sometimes the radio just doesn't work right because the earth's curvature so they're like <laughs> they're telling you that they're lying about the radios and earth's curvature right there and i thought it's a the normies think it's a joke and it's actually a joke on the normies what do you know anyway what's up everybody <laughs> That's funny as hell. That is. I was just talking to a, a, a former pilot this morning, an older guy, and he was really, really excited about the Top Gun movie. And apparently he's seen the original like dozens and dozens of times. So that's funny you bring it up. I never I'm old enough that I saw the original when it came out. Same. Oh yeah. I'm thinking about Top Gun now. Because we're at the pinnacle of the year. Didn't it just come out recently? Last month? Mm, yeah, probably. Something like that. Very yeah, cool. We're, too. Yeah, we're at the top of the of the G class star. There you go, man. You nailed it. 
Well, Devin, let's warm ourselves up here and talk about your your channel and your your content you've been making recently, Chiron and Aries. I find this most fascinating. I put my Aries hat on for it, and uh, <laughs> you know, tell us about the mission behind that project and what you've been up to and the future of it, and you know, just go for it. Let's hear it. All right, let's uh, let it rip. So, uh, it's actually like a well, the project that I'm doing. It's not just Chiron and Aries, it's Chiron and Aries, the identity wound. And I'll get into where I'm going with that in a, in a second. So, um, and it's not strictly about the astrology. So what happened was I've had a long time uh, interest in astrology. It was something I did as a hobby or like a side quest or whatever you want to call it. It was just something I, I was always doing on the side. It started with an interest in astrotheology. And also I used to read a lot with uh, the mythology and Joseph Campbell and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. So anyhow, long-term interest in that stuff, which overlaps with the astrology. But I also had this, um, this interest in, in astrology. So then I was, uh, spending more time learning how to read my natal chart. And I started to get really excited about what I was learning. And I started to actually take the studies in that more seriously. I was like, okay, I I think I want to take this to the next level, started taking some astrology courses, um, just completed one recently. I actually accidentally completed it on the solstice and I, I didn't plan it that way. It just kind of fell together nicely that way. <laughs> you know, it's nice when things kind of sync up or whatever, but anyhow, so back to the, uh, Chiron and Aries thing. So I'm learning how to read my data chart. I'm starting to get more serious about the astrology, starting to take the study of it more seriously. And I came across this thing in my natal chart, which then led to this other project that I'm doing, which is not strictly about the astrology. And I called it Chiron and Aries, the identity wound. And um, so let's do a little bit of the background on Chiron. And then I'm going to get to the point where I can talk about why am I calling it the identity wound? And what is this other project that I'm doing? That's kind of like, um, you know, running tangent along with my interest in astrology. Um, So Chiron was discovered in 1977. And it's a and it was discovered at a time when Chiron was in Aries and we are back now at a time of Chiron and Aries again. So there's a nice little things kind of tied together nicely in that sense. How long does it but, take um, to do a full return? Um, to do it. Well, it's it got a pretty erratic orbit. So it's not like one of those clockwork deals where it's going to be the same interval every time, but I don't know off the top of my head, but um, with the, uh, Chiron, it's this body in the solar system that, like we said, has this erratic orbit. It travels out as far as Uranus and it comes in as close as Saturn. And, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? Um, oh, right. So anyhow, discovered in 1977, it's got this erratic orbit. It's out uh, kind of bridging the gap between the, uh, inner planets, which go out to Saturn and then the outer planets, which are, have a more collective thing in astrology from Uranus outwards. So anyhow, when it's discovered, the astronomers are looking at this thing and they called it a centaur. And what happened, well, actually what happened even before they called it a centaur, this ties in with the Chiron story. So you'll see where I'm going in a second. So, um, they're looking at this object and it got classified and reclassified a whole bunch of times because there was disagreement it was difficult to find out what is this thing that we're looking at what is this object so is it a asteroid is it a comet is it a planetoid 
it went back and forth on these things a bunch of times before they settled and called it a centaur. And a centaur in astronomy is something that has the qualities of both an asteroid and a comet. So it's kind of like this half this, half that type thing. So that's where they say, okay, well, in mythology, you've got this half animal, half man. So half this, half that with, you know, a cute little name, they named it a centaur. And then they also named it after the most famous centaur that we have in mythology. They named it after Chiron. And now this starts to tie into where the astrologers pick up in the story and how are the astrologers using it? And where does the story go from here to be doing this uh, side project that I'm calling the identity wound? So in the Chiron story um, comes from the Greek myth and you have Philyra and you have Kronos. Um, for the Greeks, it was Kronos. For the Romans, it's Saturn. And so Kronos and Philyra have this little rendezvous and they were taking on the form of a horse at the time that they had the rendezvous. So the creature that they gave birth, that Philyra gives birth to is a centaur. He's half horse and he's half man. And Philyra doesn't like this. The uh, centaurs have this really bad reputation because they're very rambunctious. They're always fighting. They're, there's drunkenness. There's brazenness. There's the belligerence. They're, they're out of control. And if you're going into like the psychology of the, of the myth, this is kind of like the beastly side of human nature. You know, we have those things in society that we don't like and that we don't want the difficulties with, you know, there's violence that breaks out and there's, um, you know, all of this stuff that's kind of like out of control from the, from the lower vibrational realm. Um, this is the animal nature. And then the man represents the, you know, the half man side represents the higher vibrational energies, what we're ascending up towards. We're trying to vibrate higher. So uh, Philyra doesn't like that she gave birth to a centaur and she rejects her own son. So right off the bat, immediately, he, uh, after birth, he's rejected. So this is interesting because in the astronomy, they had this difficulty with classifying this object, this classification and reclassification going back and forth. This was a struggle over identity. What is this thing? And then in the myth, you have Chiron and he's going through this whole identity thing. This is part of the story, rejected by his own mother. So right from the beginning, he's struggling with his identity and who he is and where does he belong. And then as you go into this story further, then we get into this thing where the, um, Chiron becomes a healer and a teacher. And there's this great war that breaks out and Chiron is vibrating higher than the other centaurs. He's not, he's not drunk all the time. He's not fighting. He's not belligerent. He's, he's got a more sensitive nature. He's, he's into teaching and philosophy and also healing. He has a talent for healing. And he, he says, I'm not going to take part in this war. Yes, there is a war going on between the centaurs and, and, but I'm, even though I'm a centaur, I refuse to take sides. I refuse to take part because he vibrates higher. He doesn't want to have nothing to do with this. There is a poison arrow that was not even meant for Chiron and that poison arrow hits him. And that becomes the wound that he could not heal. Even a healer as gifted as he is, he could not heal his own wound. So this is where the astrologers pick up with the symbolism of this story and the way that uh, they've been working with this story is somewhere in your chart, you have Chiron. And what this symbolizes or indicates is a place to look towards to say, is there something I can um, psychologically map onto to start to analyze a wound that I that occurred to me early in life that I've been carrying along with me throughout the years that I've been trying to figure out how to manage the energy of or manage how to heal or how to work with better because it tends to be a wound that's very deep and that you're not just going to heal it. You're going to have to figure out how to work with it because it's kind of always going to be there. So the way that it was placed in my chart and uh, the way that I was kind of interpreting some of the information I was pulling together was when I called it, when I came up with the little nickname for this side project I was doing, I called it the identity wound. 
because that was the way that it kind of played out in my life or in my chart. That was the way that the story was kind of speaking to me. And then I said, hey, there's probably a lot of other people out there struggling with some of the same things. And what I was kind of looking at was like, um, th- there's kind of, I- I've seen people working with certain things. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite in the style that I wanted it to be. And then I said, oh, well, that's when that happens, that's usually a time in life when you're kind of being called upon to take a step forward and say, okay, well, then I will be the one to do it in that particular style that I wanted to see that I couldn't find for myself when I wanted it. Maybe I can be the one who provides, you know, this angle on this thing. And so there's other people doing it. There's other people doing great work. There's probably other people smarter and more talented than I am that have been working on this stuff. I know there are because I've seen I've seen the work. There's a lot of great work out there, but it wasn't quite coming through in the way that I wanted to work with it. So I said, okay, that looks like the time to step forward and say, I'm going to, I'm going to take charge. I'm going to step up and I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing, you know? And so that's, um, that's, Oh, so I was also supposed to describe what do I mean when I call it the identity wound and what is these conversations I've been having on my channel concerning the identity wound? What's that stuff about? So, uh, while I was working with this, I was like, okay, if I'm going to communicate this out like publicly, I'm going to have to kind of define the terms. So what is identity and what's an identity wound? So the way that I chose to describe it is that identity has two uh, main components. There's other things that work into this, but I was kind of seeing like two domains or two fields that kind of are forming what I was thinking of as identity. One of those is a sense of self-awareness. So getting to know yourself, getting to know where do I stand? What things do I stand up for when it's time to stand up? Or what things um, speak to me? What, what things am I vibrating with? All this kind of stuff, you know, but also becoming aware of your own kind of like habits, the way that you interact with people, what kind of effect do I have on people or people in the workplace or in society or people with my family or whatever, whatever it is, what kind of, you know, all this stuff. So, so becoming more aware of yourself is part of one of the parts of identity. And all the things that go along with that. But another thing is a sense of belonging. So how do you have a sense of belonging with your family? With uh, What about your social life? What about in society? Do you feel like you belong there in the workplace? What about when you go out in nature? Do you get a sense of belonging there? And this is where I started to bring in, okay, so these are the two main parts that I'm looking at with identity. Well, then what is an identity wound? An identity wound is a difficulty, a trauma, or a blockage of energy that occurred somewhere that's interfering with one of these domains, either your sense of self-awareness or your sense of belonging. If there's some, or, or for a lot of people, it's both because these things are related. So if there's some kind of blockage or difficulty or, or something that occurred that's interfering there, then that's what I'm calling the identity wound. And then the idea with this uh, channel that I was doing, and then also what I'm doing on the, um, you know, the video sharing channels, I've been having uh, these conversations that deal with this Chiron stuff. So I've been calling them Chiron conversations. So the the main idea there was like, okay, there's people who probably want to like other people like me who want to hear these kind of stories, who want to work on these things together, who want to have a place to go to tell their story. And that's another thing. I've been looking at this stuff and I, some, another thing that I kind of extracted or pulled out, you know, Johnny stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum. Um, another thing I kind of pulled out of this thing was like, everybody has, a purpose. Everybody has a story to tell. Some people just are, are going to be looking for where is the time and place when I get to tell my story. And I'm like, is there a way that I could kind of centrally attract these things to a location where people will go? And it's like, there's a place where you go to share that type of story. 
or to have that type of conversation or to get this stuff out and work through it together and uh, get a little bit of a sense of belonging. I'm not alone. There's other people dealing with this type of stuff. And um, so that basically wraps up the intro with uh, what's the, what's the Chiron? How does how did the astrologers start working with it? And then where did I pick up on the story? And what have I been doing it since then? Oh, and um, by the way, I'm up to just completed the fourth Chiron conversation. So the fourth episode of Chiron and Aries identity wound. And there is a fifth one uh, that's coming right around the corner as well. Man, that was a really great overview. I appreciate that. Especially like. Just all around. Nice flow state. <laughs> you know, some people will just a little bit mince words and you gave the perfect description and elaboration. Really appreciate that. Uh, gave us a great rundown. And uh, thank you. While you were talking about it, I thought, you know what? It just struck me that my Chiron being in cancer, it's interesting that we're having this conversation right as the sun's going into cancer <laughs> with an Aries moon right now, which is my sun sign. So, you know, since neat. I started working with this stuff and having these conversations more, more broadly and more widely, um, I've, I can't count the number of times that people have said what you just said, where it's like, and also they laugh it off or not necessarily laugh it off, but they, you know, it makes you laugh, but, but it's like, when it happens 18,000 times, you start to be like, okay, there's something going on. You know, it's like these sync ups. And then, and then the next person's like, you know, uh, and it's like, I know they're going to say it before they even say it. I can tell by the look on their face and the way it started to come out. They're like, you know, I had this little coincidence. I'm like, it's not coincidence anymore, man. I've, I've heard this 18,000 times now that it, that, Hey, we started this conversation and it just happened to link up with my, I'm like, yes, it linked up with your thing. I know I've heard this. <laughs> maybe that's, <laughs> that's, maybe that's a chironcidence. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, man, okay, there's like a lot of things that we could get into about this. And I'm just going to throw a few observations out. If we don't elaborate on them um, right away or at all, that's fine. But as an example of this Chiron thing and, um, you know, the accuracy of it in terms of being archetypally placed as a wounding in your chart or whatever, uh, mine being in Cancer in the 11th house, basically, I had no idea about this until, you know, probably 30 years old or something that that was what Chiron did and where mine was at and all, all that. And one of my biggest hangups in life has been feeling uninvited by like feeling like my friend groups are leaving me out or like I'm uninvited oh or I'm unwanted or unliked. And 11th house it deals with your, you know, reception by society and your friends think Aquarius and then cancer is like, you know, feeling unlovable, <laughs> feeling abandoned. So, um, and feeling so at I, home, I've worked on that kind of abandonment feeling and I got over it. And I feel like the higher octave for me was to find this tribe and, you know, throw the party myself. That way I'm always invited. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's another thing I I've started to talk to some other astrologers and even you guys might be thinking of a lot of people that we know together, but even people outside of the network that you guys are thinking of, I've been talking to some other astrologers and um, I've heard them saying, uh, it's really interesting following up with what you just said that like, you will sometimes see these kind of profound, profound transformational stories of like, okay, this is like a, this is like a supreme victory story. The, the diff for the longest time was a difficulty. And then now you have this huge telegram group. That's like really vibing. I mean, people are making all kinds of connections and side connections and things are like syncing up in such amazing ways. So it's like, um, you know, what an 11th house difficulty turnaround thing, you know? 
Yeah, man. I'm going to hold my other thoughts and let the the rest of the circle go around on that because <laughs> we all might have possible Chiron stories. And I took notes everybody's on got it somewhere. Ideas. Yeah, you know, uh, every time Sagittarius comes around, I feel as though it's one of the most human signs in the Zodiac, personally. And I'm always reminded of the Chiron story. And I think that this identity wound, in a way, um, it's part of the human condition, right? As being physical creatures and spiritual creatures and walking this line. So in a lot of ways, we're kind of schizoid uh, humans. And so I think that there's a lot of that with all of us. Um, and there's a lot of things that you mentioned in there too, that you just filled in the gaps with several things I've been curious about with Chiron. So thank you for that. And I just had a conversation about Chiron earlier today. So I think it's very synchronistic that we're having this conversation. Um, so yeah, I just want to say that right off the bat, the human condition and the identity wound, you know, it's really, it truly is there for all of us. Absolutely. I mean, that's I what's so to, powerful. Uh, to Andrea Cozy Crone for dropping that meme in the vibrant call-in line. I'm going to put the link to that in the chat. If anyone's got more astrology memes, I know you got them. <laughs> the sun, wait, what was it? The sun entering cancer tomorrow. Oh, let me oh, bring it back. It. <laughs> it's pretty it. good. Yeah, it's uh, someone. Yeah, let me describe this for the audio only listeners. So the meme is a picture of a, someone handing a gun to a crab. And it says the sun entering cancer tomorrow while the moon is in Aries. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, definitely. Is that a bump stock? <laughs> yeah, but what were you about to say there, Dev? Yeah, what was I about to say? Oh, so uh, following up from uh what mario said um okay so he was talking about the human condition and um the way that the story was playing into this and syncing up to some other thoughts that he hadn't even before and going into this and this type of thing and i was going to just going to say that's how powerful um these myths are and why it's so important to to you know to work with them because when we're looking at like these ancient myths, they were built up over generations and generations and generations of human experience. And there is so much uh, psychology written into this, although they weren't thinking in terms of modern psychology, but it is, you know, psychology that they're working with and real human experience. But built up over so many centuries, it's like taking little bits and pieces from this person's experience, that one, that one, that one. And then coming up with this such a supreme story, this actually ties in with the conversation, the most recent Chiron conversation that I had. Um, the way that a, a story can, uh, you know, a few thousand years ago, and somebody right now sitting in the modern times can look at it and be like, I've experienced exactly that. And it's like the thing keeps like spiraling around infinitely. It keeps going around. But each time it comes back around the top here, it takes on just a little bit different color, a little bit different hue. Maybe a little different shading or a couple few different details and it becomes unique. Even though it's the same story again, it becomes just a little bit slightly unique this time around. It comes back around, it comes back again. Still the same basic framework and outline, but as it's coming back around again, a few different details change the hue a little bit again and it becomes all unique all over again. And I was talking to this person sitting in totally modern times telling a story that completely synced up with, you know, <laughs> this like very old story. And it's like, that's how powerful these stories are, that they can carry across generations and generations like that and still hit people with that feeling of like, I've felt exactly that. I've thought exactly that. I know exactly what that story, that story was speaking to me, et cetera, et cetera, you know. 
Well, okay, this leads me to a question that I want to see if anybody here has thoughts on. Maybe everybody does. The question being, how does something discovered in 1977 get pegged with a character, a mythological archetype that perfectly resonates with how that actually shows up in people's astrology chart? There's a couple explanations I'll toss out there, possibilities. Either A, it was known about a long time ago, and they just announced it to the public and said, hey, here it is, and I, I think we're going to call it Chiron. And and in that instance, maybe the entire idea of the character of Chiron in mythology came from observing that one thing in the sky and trying to figure out this, a story to encode what it meant. Or B, did the story create the dynamic that we see in our charts after it was applied to that wandering luminary? You know, maybe there's an option C. I would love to know what you guys think about that. I've got an option C in my mind. Go for it. They're like, the story was from a time when we had a complete view of the system. And we knew, we knew Chiron, we knew its nature. So we built the story up. And then we forgot that character attaches to that actual physical 3D example of it. And the mystery schools have maintained that if you look hard enough, you will find these fictional characters in reality out there. And slowly over time, we've been reconfiguring that pantheon. And uh, somebody just put the piece together and it was... And because it was such a perfect fit, everybody, all the whole astronomical society was like, ding, 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 we found it. I think that's, I like that idea. Um, I'm trying to remember, and you'll have to forgive me if you said, um, did Chiron get put into the sky at the end of his story? Because I know that happens with several heroes and several characters. So, Probably. So here's what I know about the story. I don't know if Chiron was, if there, so there's, you know, several different accounts and they have different details um, amongst them or whatever. Um, I don't know if one of them or several of them in particular put Chiron in the sky, but what did happen was Chiron, one of the difficulties that Chiron had was that uh, he couldn't die. He was immortal. He exchanges mortality with Prometheus so that he could die. And then we do know that in a lot of these ancient cultures, did the Greeks do it too? We know the Egyptians did it, you know, memorialized in the sky with a star. And I think the Greeks did in a lot of cases too. So if he, if he then died and ascended, maybe they did make a star out of him, but he kind of lost his immortality. So I don't know. No, that, that is that's actually... as much as I know about the ending of the story. I don't know if he was specifically... Uh, if the if the Greeks said, okay, now let's deify him and put him in the yeah. sky. He was put in the st- a sky as a star, as a, like they had pity on him. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, maybe this okay. will help. Yeah. yeah. And then also, well, if you watch like Mario's channel, there's all those sync-ups with Sagittarius, mm-hmm. with Chiron and Sagittarius, with the, I mean, you know, with the symbolism and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, at least one of my references says that he was put in the sky as Sagittarius. So they credit Sagittarius um, for being Chiron. Okay. That's so, going to make sense. So I just had a thought. It turned, it became, so in, when we forgot about the complete system and every, and the, 
you could say the mystery was reinstated and there was a gap in time. You could Wait, can I interrupt a, real quick? When you say a complete system, you talk in complete astrological system, you talk about complete systems of knowledge where like everything overlaps, you know, and this type of theory. Yeah, I, I mean that they knew about Pluto back when they had, when they told the story of Pluto and that its name was appropriately attached to that body. And we forgot about it. We lost the ability to see it. You could maybe telescopes, the technology of the old telescope was lost and we had to reconfigure that entire system. Uh, so in that time, but you could call it the dark ages or whatever, it became a scavenger hunt. And this is an interesting breakdown because right now we're watching the Sky Avengers series. Sky Avengers, the scavenger hunt and putting the pieces together. I like that. Very interesting. It does often feel like a scavenger hunt. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Me and Rachel have really good timing for both starting at the same time as each other. (laughs) Well, (laughs) if it makes you feel better, my Chiron's in Gemini. So like if we like twin, (laughs) sorry, not sorry. It happens. (laughs) um well okay yeah so a couple of things with that like i i would think you know if we did have knowledge about it it wouldn't surprise me if in studying the myths again um people started looking for it you know oh it's it was put in the sky where is it and then watching patterns enough times to say and that's probably it um that could i think that's very possible um but anything's possible without you know, truly knowing, but, you know, my Chiron is in Gemini and because Sagittarius is the opposite, that's also where my midheaven is. So that particular axis feels very personal for me. Like every time anything happens with that. <laughs> so I got to say you've Chiron. done well with, uh, with that particular aspect of your healing because you communicate your, you know, interests very well. And also clearly you've risen to the occasion of the aspect of Gemini that has to do with, you know, art and being an artist, you're literally face painted right now. <laughs> this is not a look. It is my look. It is, you know, <laughs> this is just what I looked like on Wednesday today. guys. Yeah. This is just like, whatever. <laughs> well, that's part of the, you know, my ideas about Chiron and Aries anyway, you know, like our makeup looks pretty. Yes. Are they also boring? Yeah. Like, what part of looking like a doll says me? You know, some of these looks are, are they really who you are? Is that really when you get paints in your hands and you can do anything you want? Is that really what you want to do? Some people, yes. Some people are incredible artists, but I don't like to poke a little. <laughs> I'm wearing a copper bracelet that you gave me that you handmade. Chainmail master. <laughs> Make it, it's art. I was like, Davin wants more art. So, <laughs> but I have a question for Davin regarding Chiron's core wound. So, correct me if I'm wrong. So, my understanding is that when most people think of Chiron's wound, they tend to think of this poison arrow, which happened much later in life. But when I think of Chiron, I think of his abandonment. And so, um, is that part of his core wound? I think. The abandonment thing to me makes a lot of sense. You know, there's people who say that 
you know, our first wound here, our first major trauma is actually being born, which is a symbolic and literal abandonment from our mother, you know? So what do you think about that? Absolutely. So absolutely. Yes. So, okay. If we're going to go back, if we're going to say, let's go earlier than the poison arrow, it starts at the very beginning with Chiron. So born as a centaur, half this, half that. And this, and the centaurs have this horrible reputation. Nobody wants to be a centaur and rejected by his mother. Now, if you're asking, you know, how does it play out in the myths? I'm not an expert on the mythology. This is actually a fairly new topic for me. And my main interest was studying the astrology. And also I was doing some work and eventually started doing coursework and started taking more serious um, working on reading my natal chart. And I was like, okay, this, these Chiron stories, someday I need to take the time to sit down and, and work through those. But um, also the way that the astrologers are working with Chiron, I'm not a total expert in that either. So what happened was my interest in these things started to develop, to develop into like a side project that I started doing, which is not strictly about the astrology. It's just kind of the place where it started, where the inspiration first hit me that I wanted to do this thing with these Chiron versations. Um, but I'm, I'm not an expert in the, in the mythology or an expert in all the different ways that the astrologers are different. There's all these different schools of astrology and different, they have differences out how they operate and how they do things and how they teach their students to do things. And I'm not an expert in all the different ways that, you know, these things are being worked with. But I, I would say just going from the story though, I mean, that absolutely is a big part of the story. I mean, b- being born as a centaur and being half this and half that, you know, having difficulty with his own, identity what exactly am i am i uh am i a centaur am i a beast am i a, am i a human i'm all i'm all of it you know which again that relates to human experience we also have these feelings where you know sometimes we feel we're in one domain and sometimes we're in another and sometimes we feel like we're striving for yet another and sometimes there's difficult things we have to work through to get to where we're trying to go to but then rejected by his mother i am almost positive that that um does play out in the myths but don't quote me on it we need somebody who's an expert on the myths to really back me up on saying that but i'm pretty sure that that is featured in the in the stories and in the myths that there is this early wounding of being rejected that is a problem for him right exactly and this is mirroring um a lot of uh shaman stories too actually right having this wound and then this wound is the thing that propels them to actually be uh great healers because they've done that work and uh they've overcome whatever that ordeal or situation was right it's like a classic very interesting i hadn't even thought of that angle but yeah like the, the times that i've read accounts that describe uh shamanism there is this business of identifying the person who you know, is, is different. They, you know, they, they have, they have visions. They had um, weird illnesses when they were a child that put them into like a near death state where they were having visions and they come back out of it and they say, okay, obviously you're the next one who needs to be taught to be the next in line for the shamanism. And the, and yeah, that totally is, is very interesting point you brought up there. Can I throw something in with that really quick? Um, Chiron's story is actually a prime example of what happens when you don't heal your wound. I, I've just written an article on Aquarius um, about stepping into your godhood, how it's inevitable as a servant. You you put down the vessel and well, you stop becoming the vessel and you have to wield the vessel and be of service. And to do that, you must take responsibility and own your stuff. So Chiron <laughs> denying his immortality 
he stopped himself. He stopped from fully becoming who he's meant to be as the ultimate servant, as the ultimate healer, being honored, um, you know, his own wound. If, if that's what the wound is, then he stopped himself. And that's, I think that's a good lesson for a lot of people. You know, I think that's one of the biggest lessons to learn from Chiron. Um, and Devin, I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of this. Um, it seems like some people take too a very long time healing Chiron, which is fine because your wounds are your own and it takes your own time. I get that. But I think sometimes we might hyper-focus and pick at scabs um, and scars when something might be healed. You know, we don't stop the process and we're always working on our Chiron. We're always, always doing this. Um and I think that's the thing is if we're always in a healing phase, then we're never recovered and we're never immortal. And we don't get to live our full potential. And we stop ourselves and stagnate. Just to like, you know, I'll, I'll type, uh, throw in there the, the, the feelings of it kind of may linger. And that doesn't mean you have to tell yourself the story that I'm not healed. Like I'm still really sensitive to like, wow, I didn't get invited to that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's in social circles. Um, I guess in, on, in this online world, it doesn't bother me because uh, plenty busy already. But point is, uh, you can feel that that's healed and still notice that you're sensitive to it. And that's fine if that's part of your, you know, it may be, it may remain part of your makeup and it doesn't mean that you're lesser or that you're, you're messed up or whatever. And the other thing about this, it is just really fascinating to call it the identity wound because the Chiron and Aries thing, assuming that's where it is in your chart, right? Did you say that, Devin? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Aries would be a very like identity thing. It's the first house, right? Um, it's definitely like that childlike ego, but I um, am. <laughs> yeah, it's the I am part. But Chiron in his story, he had all these skills besides just being a healer prophecy, music, hunting. Some accounts even say that he was a gymnast. <laughs> so like what that, what I translate that as in terms of the way that this plays out in astrology is that um, part of it isn't just about healing. Like the, the Chiron wound is about embracing your identity, um, embracing the part of you that is your identity in one of these or all of these various superpowers, or even that you're not limited to just one that you could pick up any instrument or, uh, you know, any skill and develop yourself in that. If you're willing to do the work of, you know, reflection and the time and effort to go from the low level at that skill to the high level. And, and that is sort of what you could call a healing process too, because all learning is remembering in a sense. And, you know, just to go back to the identity part of this, it really is fascinating. That is such an apt uh, tagline for talking about Chiron, even outside of Aries, because in the shamanic journey or in Chiron's shamanic journey, he's part of his uh, identity wounding himself is that the other centaurs are like barbaric and savage and warlike. And he's the civilized one. <laughs> so he doesn't fit in there. And, uh, we, I think many of us can relate to that, not, not fitting in with the normies so well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, um, I, I'm trying to backtrack to, uh, address what, what Rachel was, um, was highlighting there. So, 
Um, I hope I didn't give the impression that the way that astrologers are working with Chiron or the way that Chiron is being worked with generally or the way that I'm trying to work with Chiron has anything to do with like uh, this business of forever healing or forever being wounded. And oh, so I have to constantly keep working on this thing and healing over it. And it's, and it's like, um, uh, th this is what I've been picking up from the conversations I've had. Um, also talking to some other astrologers and other things I've worked with on this. I think this is what the, what, a, what the business is about. All right. So I totally agree with you that we, we don't want to be stuck in some kind of stagnant phase of either identifying as wounded forever being wounded or forever being in a process of healing. Like that would be, that would, that wouldn't be, <laughs> you know, it's not fun. That's not the way to go. And it's stagnant. We we don't want to be in a stagnant, stuck, swampy, you know, pit of stuff like this. So this is what I think the business is about. When you are not consciously aware of these things, then you find yourself going in life, repeating patterns and not understanding why things are not working and, and bumping into the same problems, but in a slightly different form over and over and over again. And it's like hitting your head against a brick wall. When you bring these things into conscious awareness, then you become aware enough to say, now I can see how to start working and, and now I can start to see the steps going upwards and how to get out of this. Now, there's another thing. This is something that I picked up from both the uh, conversations that I've been having and also talking to some other astrologers is that another part of this process, and this does have to do with the way that the astrologers have described this issue and the way that they work with it is that Chiron is not just the place where you have this deep wound that you've been carrying around that you're trying to work with. Like, I think that stuff is important for the, give people the background and, and what are we dealing with here? And then people look at that, they say, yeah, I have that too. But it's also because you are deeply wounded there, you understand that wound better than anybody else, except for other people who also have that exact same wound that you do. But the people who have that same wound, they have the capacity to help other people in that same domain whatever that domain is where they're wounded because they understand it so well. They, uh, Chiron, the symbol for Chiron in astrology is a key. They are the ones who have the key that unlocks the door for the other people who don't have that as deep of a wound, but they do have the wound and they do have a difficulty, a problem, but they're not consciously aware of it. And it's not that deep. And it's like, but they are kind of stuck in this thing. And then the person who has that Chiron when walks up with the key, unlocks it, opens the door and says, this is the way out. This is how you do it. So that's another part of the of the Chiron story. You actually have a talent and a capacity to help other people in whatever that domain is where you were carrying that 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 Chiron wound. And I think the th another thing of it is like you're not actually trying to heal from it because it's something that you never actually heal. What you're trying to do is is accept it for what it is and say I'm going to learn how to okay, let's say like um I had my leg, my right leg amputated from the knee down. That's not something that I can reverse. That's not something that I can heal. But what I can do is figure out all different kinds of other ways to get around in spite of the fact that I have this issue and to not let that issue become a hang up and to not give up and say, I can't do anything. But it's like, no, you're going to, you're just going to have to figure out different ways to uh, mobilize yourself, different ways to get around. There are ways to do it, but it's going to be different from here on forward now that you don't have that part of your leg anymore. But it's not going to stop you. It, like, you're not going to, it's still going to be there forever. You're not going to, it's not going to magically go away. But you can figure out how to manage it better, how to work with it better and become an inspiration to other people to look at you and say, oh, look at that. That guy didn't uh, that guy didn't didn't stop and quit. He figured out a different way to move around in spite of the fact that he's only got one good leg, you know. Yeah, right. Exactly. I love all of that. I think part of this, too, is honoring your story, the good, bad and the ugly. Right. 
Yeah. And a uh, big one I got from the most recent conversation I had is this, you, you guys will see it's coming out soon. This person really, really highlighted the way that self-acceptance and looking to the love that you're looking for out there generated from within. And then that's going to get the energy flowing back and forth. And it's not going to all come in from back out there. It's going to, you're going to have to learn how to generate it from within and that's going to get the energy flowing. And so, uh, you know, self-acceptance, self-love, you're not, you have to, so that's another thing. Bringing it consciously forward gets you to the point where you can start to say, okay, now I can see it more clear. Um, but now the next step is going to be, now I have to accept it. And part of that is going to be, okay, I have to accept myself. Uh, would, would that require for some people, they might have to forgive themselves for some people. They might have to apologize to themselves for some people. It might just be a matter of learning how to give yourself a pat on the back once in a while and say, you know, sometimes source, uh, you know, threw a pitch and I knocked it out of the park. And why am I not patting myself on the back for that? You know, like, uh, self-acceptance, self-love, that's going to help get the love flowing back there. There it's like, um, the love that we need, it's all around us. It's like a source waiting to be tapped into like zero point energy or something. But if you have these blockages within yourself, then it's not flowing back and forth and you're not tapped into it. But when you can go inside yourself and say, all right, I, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to be at peace with myself. I'm going to accept myself, get along with myself, practice some self love. You start generating the love from within and you start to connect with the love that's out there is, uh, it was, it was a big one that I got from the, most recent conversation that I had. That's brilliant, man. I love uh, that. I will elaborate a little bit on this. People talk a lot about guides in, in new age circles and like spiritual guides. And my guides told me this and that, and I never connected with guides. I didn't understand that concept or I was like, this is very abstract. How are they, you know, what's their phone number? <laughs> but when it comes to the programming, most of us, embrace innately at the beginning of life or some people through their whole life, this inner critic that is so harsh on everything that we do coming down on the smallest infractions with extremely difficult self-talk. Um, that's like taking your, your wound and just ripping the scab open over and over again and not letting it really heal. And there was a point sometime recently, I don't know how recently, maybe it's been a while where I started to notice that the self-talk in my voice or in my head was like really supportive. It almost felt like it was a third person thing. Like, wow, Chance is doing great right now. Chance is crushing. And that was when it clicked for me. I was like, is this the guides? Because <laughs> it feels like something is cheering me on more than, you know, and in the same sense, the the inner critic can be so loud for, for us and for people um, that haven't found a way to the self-acceptance that relieves them from that, that it's almost like a demonic possession, something following them around, uh, heckling them all the time. So there's that. And the other thing I want to add to the conversation is I know that this was discovered long before, and it's been a concept long before, but I, I personally about the right, about the time Chiron entered Aries was the time this is 2018 or 2019, depending on if you, are talking about when it first entered Aries or after it retrograded out and came back in. Yep. Um, that was around the time where I learned about the legal concept of the straw man identity versus your true I am identity. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one that came into that information 
during the time that Chiron has been in Aries, and I have personally seemed to witness that it's blown up around the internet, more and more people talking about it and aware of it, even though, you know, people have talked about it in the Patriot mythology since probably the sixties or seventies. That being said, I just want to put that into the weave because I find that to be an interesting connection that the identity wound part of it has to do with the society, fake identity, social security number, all caps, name and all that. Ah, absolutely. I think Gabriel might be chomping uh, at the bit with some stuff, though. <laughs> uh, Kaylee actually touched upon that a little bit in the first uh, Kyra conversation that we did. That she, you know, uh, just briefly, she mentioned, look at all these conversations happening in the legal domain. Um, and then when I thought about it, I realized that a lot of the people that I'm talking to on Telegram, I've been talking to since, like, you know, uh, what, 2020? Um, on like where Rose triple seven was restreaming cross triple seven streams where they were going heavy duty into this law stuff. And then just like chance said, we started to see, yeah, those ideas have been around for a long time, but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't uh, getting spread around. Uh, you know, the popularity increase from the time that you waited around 2018. Yeah. You said, um, but I, I saw it a little bit. Later than that, but I did see a huge uptick in conversations surrounding that. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah, I so think interesting. It's, I mean, Strawman and Chiron and Aries identity. All, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, this is this is crucial. This is so crucial. It's really uh, it's pivotal. You know, you're kind of. I think the Chiron is tip of the spear for the for the you know this placenta wound that we talk about. And even all of the birth traumas, I think this is really crucial cornerstone material. I think we're even a bit ahead of the curve as it moves into Taurus next. And the larger culture starts to become more aware of the mother wound and the birth wound and all the things that are entailed with that. Right. Because people are going to people keep forgetting about all the C-sections that the mother literally gets cut open now for a birth, you know. People so are that not. Caesar can ha- be rendered unto him what he believes he owns. <laughs> right. People don't even realize that they've actually integrated seppuku into the birthing experience. Just fucking wrap your head around that. It's the same thing as seppuku. It's not. Seppuku, real quick for the ignorant ones. Uh, uh, ninja suicide. Ninja suicide. Oh. Oh, Stick okay. yourself, slide it to the left, say your death poem. Uh, Japanese. Yep, you got it. Yep. So I want to read. The, I pulled up my dictionary of classical mythology. I'm going to read a quick paragraph on um, Chiron because, like, like Mario was talking about the birth. You know, this goes back to the earlier trauma. For, I'm, I'm quite convinced. Uh, which? Oh, absolutely. Way, I've some of the yeah. conversations I've had with other astrologers that talk about there are certain positions where it is common to hear people tell stories about um, it, being injured in the womb, you know, like the forceps, the, the way right. that they got the grip or, you know, uh, getting strangled by your umbilical cord and uh, yes. you know, all kinds of other things that can happen. And so it's up for so, some of these th- things. It's before birth that this stuff starts. Right. Um, right. Uh, and on one, one strange maxim or axiom of life that, that is kind of central to Chiron probably is the saying, we recreate our traumas and it is in, in, in it's our, it's personal. It's as personal as your name. 
The fact that you will recreate it and you will face it, face it over and over. And every time is a chance to, uh, to come out better on the other side, you know, living resurrection opportunity, you could say. But I'm going to read the, uh, this quick description because it totally has that birth, an aspect of the birth trauma in the description very slyly slid in between the lines here. Uh, Chiron, also Cherion, stories of parentage vary. Uh, Kronos, Kronos, and Thalira, like you said. Uh, Zeus was the father. Ixion and Nephile. But Chiron was the one gentle, learned, wise member of the centaurs. Half man, half horse. And then it goes on for there. But I want to highlight gentle. A Gentile is defined by their shape of their genitals. He talks about the member of the centaurs. That's the membrane of the placenta. And your, your membership and citizenship that you get for sacrificing that member. Yes, it has all these aspects. All the ingredients are right here in this one little paragraph. Uh, and then it goes on. Uh, actually, the rest of it's pretty much just confirming what you said. He became very uh, accomplished in medicines and herbs, uh, taught the greatest heroes of the age in many pole light arts. Did you hear that, Mario? <laughs> the pole light, the light at the top of the pole. I think you so, got it. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. So uh, it goes on from there. But I just thought that was so interesting that we're talking about it. I look in here and like within two sentences, all the ingredients are very subtly laid out to see and appreciate. What is that book one more time? It's um, a dictionary of classical mythology. And you guys will love this. You guys see uh, Oedipus solving the riddle of the Sphinx. Do you notice that? The initiation of this book is a cat butt. There's a cat butt on a pedestal at the initiation of this book. We are being initiated. (laughs) Very interesting to me. But I'm getting a lot of, um, like, so I was looking at the, the star map the other day, and the Minotaur of Sagittarius is on the ecliptic. He's clearly the in Sagittarius. And just offset from him is the centaur. And I think that's interesting that they they get, maybe not confused, but they're interchangeable in our minds. But it's just kind of neat that there is continuation of the minotaur and the centaur. They're just kind of uh, one behind the other, uh, which makes me think of the two knights riding on the same horse, the Knights Templar. It's like they merge the two together in that location. And, uh, you know, the Greeks loved their therianthropes. Nice. <laughs> great word. Great word. Oh, I forgot. You, if you want to make Gabriel happy, you just got to pull out some multi-syllabic word that he hasn't heard in a while. And <laughs> Michael Wan calls it a 50-cent word. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, so, uh, Mario, are you thinking about Eric Thonius? I am now because we're in cancer. And so every cancer season, I think about Eric Thonius. Uh, why do you ask? The kids in the back. <laughs> Who's Eric Thonius? 
I'm one of the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was this Greek king who uh, was half serpent, half human, and he's credited for uh, snakes for legs. Snakes for legs. Yep. And he's Therian credited throws. for creating the uh, four horse. Uh, which is called the quadriga and so i think he's actually who you're seeing when you look at the uh chariot card itself because a lot of the times you can't see his legs which i think is really fascinating but did you have something specific to bring up with that gabe dude is straight hiding his legs isn't he in that in the rider weight he is i don't know about the other ones Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely it's a common theme for sure Yes. We'll have to ask Miss Pamela Coleman Smith about that. Are you hiding his legs on purpose to hide? Oh, I don't know, serpent legs, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And so uh, the so, astrotheology of it all is interesting with Centaurus too, in the constellations because it is first of all right next to Hydra. So you have the story of him getting poisoned by the arrow dipped in the Hydra blood, but he's also or Centaurus is also. Basically, the Southern Cross is between his legs. So the word crucify etymologically actually means to have something to remove something from yourself. When you crucify something, you're like, you, it might as well mean you're saying you're cutting it off or removing it. So it's between his legs. I mean, <laughs> he's basically riding on the crucifix up there. It's interesting. And then he gets That's hit very, in the very interesting. <laughs> gets hit Rachel, me. save us from talking about our uh, male special anatomy over here. We can I'm about to. <laughs> it's going to take this totally other other head, guys. Other head. All guys um, love to talk about their junk, <laughs> but at least we do it in a heady way, right? <laughs> well, so it kind of reminds me of like so we're talking about what happens if you don't heal your core wound, but then you've got this idea of martyrdom. Right. It's like, oh, my snakes are my, I've got snakes for legs. Like you're you're wearing your heart on your sleeve. You're you know, that type of unhealed wound can happen, too. And maybe that's part of it is not fully integrating, you know, fully owning. I should say owning because I think the word integrating is, you know, the meaning is getting a little lost. But, you know, I'm not really owning everything that you have and not really stepping into alchemy you know allowing yourself to be part animal in a sense like how does that show up for you as a human like i don't need to get cat teeth to look like a cat <laughs> i can integrate being you know feline-esque however that may show up but i certainly don't need to wear ears or you know and if you feel like you do okay but I would say that's a, probably a past life. You should probably figure out how to express a little. I don't know. You're human now. How does that get expressed? How, come on. Get creative <laughs> in a different way. That's what I'm trying to say. I just have to say, uh, and Rachel, maybe you can elaborate on this because I know there's layers of understanding when it comes to the runes. But uh, doesn't the rune that's typically associated with horse and man look very similar? They do. Yes, they do. Yeah. No and so that's way, another way. element here. Oh, what yeah. Uh, oh, I think that's been a one thing of them's going an back. M. Yeah, one of them's an M, and then one continues the cross lines of the M to make an X in the middle, essentially, if I'm getting my runes correct. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's, a, that's amazing, because I've 
I've picked up in other places uh, and just this business and, and symbolism of horse and rider on the horse. And I've picked this up in various cultures too. I have a weird backstory. I probably don't have time to get into today where I saw one that came like totally out of left field where there's this song about the rider on the horse smoking the cigar. And then the, somebody explained the meaning of it to me. And I was, it was like this whole esoteric thing. And I wasn't even in an esoteric situation where an esoteric mm-hmm. conversation should have been happening. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, but not, but okay. So, so horse rider on the horse, horse and man, and also horseman. And it, and it's like, it's multicultural mm-hmm. and it, it's, it goes back pretty far. And then I hadn't heard about it in the runes. So now I got another one to add to this already long list I got going on. <laughs> of, uh, nice. These things nice. Showing there up. you go. <laughs> the the one thing I'll say too. Is it like that? Close. Yeah. Um, the X is a little higher though. Yeah. So, so that's two rows to row. The row sign. <laughs> so is it more like that? Uh, yeah, there's no like, like tips up top, but that's closer. Yeah. Okay. That's no tips. Rachel, you got it coming up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go. Exactly. That's two rows. This is a row sign. Mm -hmm. It's also a flag. It means the, I mean, it's kind of the Pope ecclesiastic claim on land. It's it's several runes. It can be a couple. So, so this one is the horse, right? Yeah. And this is about, you know, being in relationship with nature. The horse, it's about a vehicle. It it's something that you use and it serves you, but you also are in good relationship with it. Even in the Havamal, it's like don't talk bad about your horse because this is something that it helps you. It's your companion. It's it's something that you you honor, right? So you have this idea of honoring nature and the things that help you. And then this moves into partnerships with human beings. Because this rune, you know, it can look like um, partially the Lagu's rune, which kind of looks like a horse head. You could have two horses facing each other. That's the whole thing with the chariot, right? You have two horses that pull, not just one. You've got two, the masculine and the feminine. So that one is, is about relationships with others. And it's in those relationships, Gemini, Libra, Aquarius, your air signs that build society. It's exchange. It's mutual. The horse can never do everything for you. This is a shout out to everyone who's a pet parent. Your your pets are, I'm sorry, they are not your children. <laughs> they are not going to bury you. They will probably get you. <laughs> I'm out of here, guys. It was fun. <laughs> just ruined my Check day. You later. I'm sorry. I love my fur babies, but. <laughs> oh, man. That's going to eat you when you die. (laughs) I love what you're getting into, though. This is fascinating. And it reminds me of all the times on Mysterious Universe. I couldn't tell you when. I've been listening to it for like 10 years. But I know more than once they've run into stories about people who have not just given horses energy healing, but also because that's popular. There's like a big body of uh, Reiki practitioners that do Reiki for animals like horses or veterinary Reiki, but also that uh, horses that give you Reiki and they kind of make fun of it and all that. But according to this Washington Post article, I found there is an emerging body of scientific evidence indicating that interacting with horses improves health and well-being and can help people with numerous physical and mental health conditions. 
from children living with motor disabilities to adults grappling with PTSD. So this association of the horse and the healer appears to be something that is uh, archetypally consistent in nature. Oh yeah, that makes total sense. Just spend time around horses. They're seriously so majestic and amazing and incredible, you know. So uh, you the the spirit just emanates off of them, in my opinion. Oh, that's really cool. That is nice, Lillian. Yeah, for the audio RSS feed people, Lillian just commented. I love that there's horse talk going on while I'm feeding my horses. <laughs> I love that too. I just found. I was trying to find the original one that I saw, but. I did see um, a method of taming horses from the Native Americans, and it's all touch. It's all relational. It's all personal. You know, you've got this very Western style of breaking a horse. You will carry me. You will wear the saddle. You will get used to blinders. And, you know, it's, it's not exactly kind. Um, so it's very different to watch this other style where it's I'm touching you here and we're friends and, and we're comfortable around each other. You know, where I am spatial awareness, you know, that's, that's honoring. That's very honoring. Um, I thought it was really beautiful in contrast. Uh, In regards to horses, I just have to say too, that symbolically when you're dealing with horses, boats, and chariots, you're essentially dealing with the same thing. I think there's other uh, metaphors and other symbols that are appropriate too, but you're dealing with journeying. And so uh, you're dealing with traveling, you know, and uh, I'm reminded of the path of the fool and the journey that it is, you know, just living uh, in this reality on this planet or plane or what have you. And so I just have to say that as well, that the horse very much symbolically is, is connected to the boat and obviously the chariot, you know, for obvious reasons. Yeah. yeah. So, so I got a, I got a quick series of things I'd love to share on just this idea that came to me uh pretty recently and it uh very much like Mario I owe you all the thanks and I think this is a beautiful handoff where like you bringing my mind to the story of Erichthonius is a really solid handoff to Davin here in his work with Chiron and I remember a while back, Davin, you and I were vibing on Chiron. I mean, almost a year ago, maybe eight eight months ago or so. We were talking about Chiron on your channel. And I mentioned that Chiron reminds me of uh, Professor Xavier. And how Professor Xavier is a wounded healer of the highest order. And this is Eric Thonius as a baby, by the way. Yes. Yep. He was sent down a river uh, in that basket. Classic sun god symbolism. Because he was abandoned. Because he was, uh, you know, an abomination. What were you saying, Rachel? She said, (laughs) oh, you know, just look at his precious little sneak feet. (laughs) (laughs) She was feeling a she was feeling the cancer season vibes, the, the women yeah, with the baby. And she's just, she was, she Aww. was um, vibing off that. He can't nice. help it. <laughs> so what, on, on your show, Davin, I was mentioning, and I didn't have, we, I don't think it was visual. I think we were just in the chat. So I didn't have any like ability to convey visual information, but 
I mentioned that Chiron reminds me of Professor Professor Xavier, who's wheeling around on a chariot, uh, recruiting people and uh, building an army of the gifted, so to say. And that it also reminds me of um, uh, the leader of the Jesuit order, Ignatius Loyola. And I'm going to bring all of that together in a really interesting way because you've got Professor Xavier. Nice. Wow, he's helping them heal their identity wound about being different, having gifts. Mutants, I mean. Now I'm going to try to weave Eric Thonius into this with some of... uh, so okay, I gotta I gotta paint my target first here. Ultimately, what I'm trying to build into is a weave on the idea that if you haven't healed your own wounds, if you haven't started from the polar center, from the axial, your your own alignment, if you haven't come in alignment, you will be shown reflections in the world of other people's wounds, and it will pull you out of yourself. And you will, whether you want to or not, it's just our nature. You're going to project and put yourself in a weak stance. You're going to lose your footing. And so if you have people coming at you with, uh, with other people's wounds, then you might say, let's see if I can time this right. Here we go. Can you, yeah. You might, somebody might use the archetype of Ariga and Eric Thonius and your uh, propensity to uh, feel sympathy for somebody else's wound. It could be used against you to uh, fund a chair at a bull cause. The chariot is at the bull. It's a chair at a bull cause. And this is a picture of Ariga or Eric Thonius. He's the lame charioteer, right? This fella here that I have a picture of, uh, he went to visit the queen. And he is a, um, he's a basketball player. He has, uh, he's in a wheelchair. He's bound to a wheelchair for his life, for life. And, uh, he was paraded around so that the queen could look so virtuous uh, and give him awards or recognition or whatever for a chair at a bull cause. And I find it very interesting that his tie seems to be not tied perfectly. You see what I mean? He's putting his wound on display. I think that's on purpose. It's as though that's almost like they want you to think because his legs don't work, he can't even tie his own tie, which is just theatrics, if you ask me. Uh oh. Did I get that? Do you guys dig that? The chair had a a bull cause? It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I feel like that happens a lot. (laughs) Like a lot. I think it's a big emotional loose harvesting technique you know it's like they know people are wounded in certain areas and they will target them with specific charities to give to you know with oh 
You can't do anything, but you can give your money. <laughs> Specifically, you know. So that's it's fascinating. I think it's interesting too, just symbolically, real quick, the chair, you know, having four legs. And then so we're dealing with legs on a chair. And then also uh the fact that a lot of uh chariot cards, they have the four posts around them, creating kind of the canopy of the chariot, right? Which to me always represents the uh four fixed signs, the four cardinal directions or what have you. Um Yeah. The, ch- the yeah. chariot has those four posts that build up yep. the kyborium or the cyborium. Yep. I, I always say that one wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But uh, nice. one thing I wanted to throw out there um, and see what Davin thinks. I, I think the connection between um, Chiron and Sagittarius is kind of solidified in the mythology in a couple of different ways. Um, I think the arrow connection, the fact that Sagittarius, the symbol for Sagittarius is literally an arrow, and then Chiron is hit with that poison arrow, I think is intriguing. And then also uh, regarding the bow and arrow, people kind of forget how important the bow and arrow is. You know, it was like the preeminent weapon of choice for a very, 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 very long time, you know, up until not that long ago, to be honest, on a grand me and, uh Me and Gabriel actually both have a back history with uh, musical bows, which yeah, are related buddy. to the bow and arrow, which takes it all the way back. Ooh, to like, nice. Uh, which takes it back to Africa, which which is like how much older are you going to get? If you're talking about hunters, cults, and hunters societies, and and hunter gatherers, how much older are you going to get than taking it back to Africa? So there's this history of the the bow and arrow also being used as a musical bow and also being developed into bows specifically just for music, and then <laughs> we have the musical bow. But I actually I got all excited about throwing in musical bows because I knew I could make Gabriel happy. And then I kind of lost track of your other point. You have to rehash some of that for me. What, what, what else were we talking about? Oh, well, I was just going to well, mention the fact- Chiron. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The bow and arrow. And then uh, what I was going to say is that the, there's two interesting things I wanted to mention in regards to the bow. Um, one, actually a few things actually, <laughs> but okay. So real quick, Sagittarius, he's out, on the brink of releasing that arrow. So there's tension, you know, and there's this whole idea of letting go. And I think that a lot of our core wounds, um, it's because we're holding on to ideas or stories or perceptions of ourselves or whatever, you know, and, and that, then, uh, we need uh, to just, let go. I, absolutely. Just previous to that, you have Scorpio, which is about transformation of letting go. And then you go into the next time, which is Sagittarius, and he's ready to actually let it go. Except Sagittarius. That's right. Now you're going to have to uh, take the uh, the the wisdom and your traveling and your philosophy and your learnings about the about the world around, and you're going to concretize these things until you have. And, and this is taking your time to aim the arrow before you let it fly. So previous house, you've got to um, you got to you got to do this transformational process to get ready to let go, and then you go into the next sign, and then you got to develop the philosophy, which is developing the aim, and then you let the thing fly. Beautiful, and, uh, yeah, beautiful. Absolutely. I love it. That's cool. Um, because I was going to bring up Scorpio actually in relation to the arrow, because sometimes the way Sagittarius, if you look at Sagittarius in the sky, there's so many stars. It's, it's very confusing. It's not as, um, easily imaginable as some other constellations, in my opinion. So sometimes when you see Sagittarius being illustrated, uh, and it has all of the constellations, or you mean Scorpio, in the sky, right? 
No, Sagittarius. He's pointing oh, his okay. arrow at the stinger of Scorpio. And so there's an okay, interesting gotcha. connection with the uh, tip of the arrow and the stinger of Scorpio. And then also sometimes Sagittarius is looking backwards, which I think is interesting symbolically. It's almost like his aim is to uh, rid himself perhaps of some of these core wounds that he experienced in the past. That is very interesting. I was just going to take it to something else, but that actually ties it in even better than I was, or it ties it in even better than I was imagining it was going to get tied in before I cool. <laughs> but, Go for uh, it. Okay. So previous house, house of Scorpio, one of the big themes there is going to be transformational letting go. Um, okay. What is, and then we have this similarity between the stinger and the arrow. And when you look at the Scorpio constellation, the tail looks like an arrow. It's got a very arrow type. But anyhow, what is Scorpio using the stinger for? Scorpio is paranoid. It's it's very, very sensitive on the inside. It thinks everybody is out to get him and out to hurt his feelings. And he's trying to protect himself because he's so sensitive on the inside. He's scared to trust other people. It's also the house of intimacy. And when you go into a relationship with somebody... Now, now Libra is about the social dynamics, the fun, the flirtation, the getting to the mind, the mental play back and forth. But then, then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, now it's going to get serious. We're actually going to get intimate. And if you're going to trust somebody on that level, they're going to see everything. They're going to see you naked, which means in both senses of the word physically, and they're going to see your shadow, your stuff that you're hiding in the closet. They're going to see, they're going to see all of it. And this is very scary. And this is part of the defensive nature of uh, Scorpio is, and also why they keep a tight, close circle of friends who they really, really can trust and who they can go deep with in conversations. They pick very carefully because they, they are, they, they don't want to trust just anybody. So there are all these these interesting trust issues and dynamics of the relationships, and it's because it's intimacy. They want the intimacy. They know that's where they're going to. That's what they want to get. But you have to really trust somebody to be intimate with them. So that's where you have this defensiveness, defensive nature, also the emotional sensitivity. And what is the the stinger used for in Scopia? Well, it's all defensive. Well, then you go into the next house, Sagittarius. Well, now we're going to let go of of all of that, the, the, the defensiveness and all of that difficulty with the emotional stuff and the keeping things hidden inside. And I'm scared to trust people and all that. And, and, and but you need to transform that. And you need to let go to go to the next level to start to vibrate higher than that. And now Sagittarius, we're aiming outwards. So so now, now we're. We're, we're developing the philosophy and that's to develop the aim. And then we're going to let the arrow fly outwards. So it's, it's in terms of like, you know, inward outward thing is the dynamic I'm seeing between as you move from the one house to the other one. Yeah, man. You know, I, I, I'd like to drop a, a thought with uh, that wound, the scorpion wound. I, I think of two possible outcomes. You can become a Sagittarius and pick up, pick up something and start fighting. Or you can become a sage guitarist and you can go in and start making music out of your, out of your experience. And I think those, <laughs> are, beautiful. Two paths. I think those are two paths you can go by. I want that to get is, into some. That's, uh, that's beautiful, but also ever since Gabriel first called it Sag Guitarius, when I read Sagittarius in my mind, there's a little voice that says Sag Guitarius, like ever since he said that. And it's, <laughs> and it's like every time too. And it's like, it's always there. Every time I read it, I'm like, Sage Guitarist. Sage Guitarist. Hell yeah. I want to bring something into the um, mix that came up because, okay, first of all, PK, thank you for this. And the vibrant call-in line shared this old coin depicting Emperor Constantine the Great's son, Constantinius II, accompanied by a guardsman with the 
key Cairo symbol depict, which is the Chiron symbol depicted on his shield behind a horse. Interestingly, it's back here. So this put me on a huge train of thought. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to bring it in. Uh, it has to do with a cycle of time in the uh, various. The old world had ver- a lot of different ways of trying to figure out, reckon the larger cycles of time. You have, you know, the yugs and all that. And then you have the the processional year and the Babylonians. Okay, so they were really in. This is too complicated to maybe go in completely, but the Babylonians had a great year of 3,600 because, you know, their whole math was this base six thing. 60 was a big number for them, and 600 is thus a big number for them. So let me see how I can do this. First of all, the key, the Cairo symbol, which by the way sounds like Cairo, Egypt, <laughs> and uh, even kind of close to ta- uh, tarot, and here's why. Because the Cairo symbol is made a combination of the Hebrew letters Tav and Resh, which look like X and P in English. And they equal 600 in Gematria, Hebrew Gematria. So this Cairo is really a symbol of the Christos. And in Gematria, there's plenty of reason to believe that because in septenary, Jesus is 27 and Chi Rho, uh, C-H-I-R-H-O, is 27. Uh, there's way more evidence for this if you want to get into uh, the new book from Dylan Sicosio, A God's Acre for the Winds of the Soul. Explore this. He explores this a lot. So a lot of these, uh, many of these Jesus figures, initiate figures, savior figures, messiah figures throughout history have a connection to this number 600 for one reason or another. Uh, like Noah was said to live for 600 years, for example. And Noah even isn't that phonetically far off from Nero or Naro. And that is the name of a 600-year cycle in one of the old reckonings of larger cycles of the processional year. So anyway, wow. there's... That makes me think of the path is straight in Nero. anyway like back to where this connects to the tarot um it sounds like you know you could say tav or you could say tau when we're talking about that x symbol i mean it's even in the runes when rachel was showing us the horse rune and the man rune uh it's this x right and that's back to where we get this chiron symbol so this healer who has this miraculous healing ability is very connected into the messiah archetype Generally speaking, um, yeah, I'm just going to lay that out there. And that's what I was thinking about. I got on a whole long train of thought and d- I did my best to bring it all together. I just have to say real quick that uh, the arrow Crowley, at the very least, said that the arrow is actually the most what I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, the oldest, simplest representation of mercurial energy. Which you're getting in healing stuff when you're dealing with a lot of mercurial symbols and stuff. So he actually relates the arrow. And again, I just think of the Sagittarius arrow and relates it to Mercury and that there's a lot of mercurial stuff kind of embedded in all of this, which I think is fascinating. But Mercury's and everywhere. Gabe, think so about the, the, the Greek word for, for bow, you know, with a bow and arrow. The Greek word for that is toxo. There's your tov and your, you know, the, <laughs> there's your T and your X, basically. Right. Right. You know where Gabe's going next. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Go ahead. So go I, ahead. Threw, um, I threw in the Vibrant uh, a page from the Book of Kells. It's the most well-known page. It's called the Key Row page. There's that P and that X. And in the runes, that P letter is Wunyo, and it represents joy. But that X is that sacrifice, that gift, so the joy and the sacrifice. So we're talking about these Christ-like figures. The joy always comes from sacrificing the things that wound us and hurt us the most. Um, sometimes that's our very mortality <laughs> when you're in that position. But it can be the fear of death that you're really sacrificing, you know, to gain the knowledge and the wisdom that you need to be moving forward and to let those things go. So I think that's very fascinating. But that's this page is filled. Page. I was just going to say, I love that artwork. <laughs> it's filled with nature symbols. It's just you can't incredible. Top a book of Kells with what, if we're going to talk the artwork and the calligraphy and the, you can't top book of Kells. Yeah. Look at, look at that. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. It's mind blowing detail. Jeez Louise. Look at those Truscalians. Up, tucked up in there. Oh, and there's some du- two yin yangs, triples and doubles. That's gorgeous. Yeah, I found one site that that talks about it. You know, with that P being so large, it it's like Christ alone type of idea. Mm. Mm. And you can, I mean, as far as, you know, representations of those figures go, it's, oh my gosh, that would be insane, right? How many sessions would that be? And Your artist would probably murder you for all that detail. <laughs> um, you know, as far as representations and examples go, it's not a bad thing to look at somebody who, you know, chose to heal others with their core wound. It's like, I think Christ is a great example. Because when you look at things like traditional medicine, Chinese medicine, German new medicine, they always find the root cause of disease in a heart issue. And so when Christ is going around, I have a book on Chinese medicine where he uses Christ as the example. When he says, I forgive you, he's imparting that so deeply into those wounds that that's what causes the miraculous healing. You know, it's it's having that acknowledgement, that validation. You're forgiven. You're good. You're perfect. It's speaking that life. And then that's not a bad example <laughs> of how to heal wounds on yourself and others. You know, speak life to yourself. Speak life to others. Beautiful. It's, it's amazing. I love it. And I agree with you. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, I believe it's called the seven sorrows of Mary or the seven wounds of Mary. And she has seven swords stuck in her heart. It's pretty brutal. It's fascinating uh, artwork, though. But um, I have a piece of art that I wanted to share. And this is Babylonian. And I would love to get your guys' take on it. This is the Babylonian correspondence for Sagittarius. And his name is Pablosag. There's a few interesting details. In certain ways, he looks like the modern version of Sagittarius. But, uh, you know, he also has a dog (laughs) on the back of his head or a monster or demon or something to that effect on the back of his head. And then also uh, going back to the scorpion correspondence here that we've been talking about, his tail is actually a scorpion tail right there. And then also there's a full scorpion. It's very simple right at his junk. 
And so obviously Scorpio relates to the genitals, which I think is fascinating. And then of course he has this nice big wing right here. Implying that uh, he can fly. My understanding is that Pobble saw was actually a psychopomp. So he was a guide of souls and went to different realms and what have you. And the Syrian psychopomp. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you Looks say like he's about to lose that junk? He's going to have a wound. <laughs> Did you say Cyclops? Psychopomp. Uh, Psychopomp. A guide of the uh, souls. Yeah. Guide of the souls. That makes him Mercury. That makes him Jesus. That's the whole thing. Yep. Yep. So, anyways, there you go. All this. He looks This is interesting because this just solidifies for me that at the end of the day, like the daemon of many names is what we're discovering in all of our syncretism that just like the source embodies all of us. And fills our individual characterological ego identity vessels. Uh, the same goes for these mythological characters. In one, in one sense, they're a whole cast of characters and a pantheon of gods and all that. But on a deeper level, when the syncretism is applied to it, they all relate back to the sun, who is the creator, destroyer, preserver. And so they're just, you know, not just as in like reducing them, but uh, you can connect them all back to that at the end of the day. And I believe that that's helpful uh, as long as people aren't so attached to their mythology, their religion, or their dogma that they want to fight about it. That's it's a, a nice share, though. It's Mario. an infinite Thank cycle. It, it goes round and round. And each time it goes around, it gets a little bit more details on the fractal and looks a little bit different than last time it came around and a little bit more unique. But it's like the same, you know, the hero with a thousand faces, the, the story of a thousand journeys, et cetera, et cetera. You know, yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's a beautiful, you know, like symphony. Yeah. You know, like the way that in classical music, they will come up with a musical theme and they will keep reworking that theme and it it gets, you know, it gets, uh, you know, they shift from major to minor and then they do it in different modes and it it takes on a little bit different flavor each time. It conjures up a little bit different emotions in each different way that they run it through, but they keep running the thing through. And it's like, we have this, this is also taking place in our human experiences and then it's also coming through in the in the stories and in the way that we symbolize those stories and the way that they get told again. And next totally. thing, the time the thing cycles around, it gets even more interesting than last time because it has a few more different details and et cetera. Yes. Oh, and uh, Baskin Robbins, you know, the 31 flavors. And then next year, they're going to have 32 flavors. Or... <laughs> so I got a couple shares I'd love to bring up. Let's see. I think I'm still on share mode. Oh, I think I got a good image for this round and round stuff. Let's see. I got to say thank you on the Rockfin side to former Vice President Biden for tipping. Uh, thank you for that tip. <laughs> I'm glad you were able to figure out the technology to do that, sir. So it's cool that he listens to us. <laughs> am I? Am I pulled up? You're pulled up. Yeah. So this is a really cool image uh, that I've been sitting on for a while. This, uh, this, I believe this would be considered a Scythian archer, or at least the this uh, style of archery. Have you guys heard of these ladies? That just that's some, that's just crazy. <laughs> wow. So this is a Scythian archer, and the the myth of it is that they could do this on horseback. 
And so this really puts together, you can even see wings. Like look at her, her uh, garter is got wings like that character you brought up. Uh, Pablesage, Pablesog. And think of the abdominal strength (laughs) and just how much practice that must require. So she's got the Scorpio and the Sagittarius going on, right? And so I'm thinking of it. it. Yeah. And now I'm thinking of it in relationship to the, uh, the serpent mounds. And now you can see here, this is a map of the serpent mounds in Ohio. You can see how the shape of the bow is memorializing the two solstices and the equinox line as a witness would perceive it throughout the year from where we are now until the bottom of the year and until it returns, marking all of the aspects of the progression of the uh, of the sky, the big chariot in the sky, the big golden arches, so to say. Isn't that something? Yeah, it makes me think of something. You said something about bows and arrows at one point, and I didn't write it down. So if you remember it, um, please say it. But (laughs) it does remind me that, you know, we're talking about a sting and transforming the wounds, but also, you know, those initiations give us something to work with, like you were saying, Davin. And you know, a scorpion doesn't just attack. You have to move a rock. You have to uncover it. You have to find it. Oh, no, it's defensive. It even, yeah, right. It's completely defensive. So that's like all of the, we, well, we attribute um, occult knowledge to Scorpio. So the things that we find out can hurt us, right? We're like, oh, my God, I've been lied to. We think we've been lied to. Um, as veils get lifted and things get more revealed going higher in truth. It's not really a lie. You just weren't ready for it. Um, So there's that aspect of it, but taking that knowledge, taking that arrow, you know, when you get to Sagittarius and using it for something, it's like, you've got this knowledge. Now what? You're going to shoot it into something into Capricorn to build. But that's what that was making me think of. That's pretty cool. I love that you brought the mountains into it. Yeah, that is awesome. Davin, I was going to ask you about um, your thoughts regarding uh, the creation of art and overcoming some of these traumas and core wounds. Oh, thank you for bringing it to art. Nicely done. (laughs) Davin's our art drill sergeant. Drill sergeant. Art 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 party drill sergeant. (laughs) It's a character I stumbled upon just accidentally. It was was like in another page where. um, it was a comment I was replying to Rachel and I don't even remember what she said at the time, but I was like, I've got the perfect, oh, you know, like I think I said something about like, you know, where's the next thing or something, you know? And she's like, uh, yes, sir. You know, like, cause like I was being a total drill sergeant, you know? So then I, I took the guy from, full metal jacket and I made a meme out of him and I turned him into the art party drill sergeant. And that's where that one uh, came from. But to go to uh, Mario's question, um, I think what you were getting at is what, like uh, we're, we're talking about bringing it around to relationship between healing and art. 
Essentially, yeah. And I just, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick. It's fascinating that the temperance card. I mean, the potential for that is huge. The art card and the art card corresponds with Sagittarius itself. Ah, uh, yes, I've I've heard that. You know, the other name for it being being the art. Um, I think in the Book of Toth, they might even just call it art. All right, maybe I'm confusing it with, Correct. with another. No, you got it. Isn't it the Yep. It is in the Toth Tarot that way. Okay. I actually, <laughs> I'm not an expert on tarot, but I did spend some time studying it. Not, I didn't, I wasn't getting into like doing readings or anything. I just, um, it, and this was many years ago, but just the interest in the, in the symbolism and the stories, that's where it always comes down to for me. And so when I was learning about it, but I started doing readings in order to learn, just to learn what the cards mean, what are the symbols, and it's better to to practice it than to strictly just read about it. You're going to remember it better. So I did it a really weird way, though. I I, I used the Rider Weight deck because I really like the artwork on that one, but I did all the information from Book of Toth. <laughs> so I, a little bit mix and match. But anyhow, back to... uh um bringing it back around to art and to healing the potential there is huge and that is something i haven't even scratched the surface on i need to learn about what are people doing in terms of using art for healing because i know this is something that's been done for a long time there's a lot of people who have been working on this heavy duty and i have like zero knowledge in that area i've been doing art like my whole life though so i have a, i have some personal background with it but in terms of what are other people doing and what kind of knowledge and experience have they accumulated and really working with it? I know that there's a ton of information out there just waiting to be dug into, but I definitely haven't tapped into that stuff yet. I know the potential has got to be absolutely enormous though, but also part of my journey has, has been, uh, um, trying to figure out why have I been like stopping and starting again and stopping and starting again with art. And why did I have like huge gaps, like years and years where I did like zero art. And then when I started again, I would get so much out of it that I'd be like, why did I ever stop doing this? And then also another big thing that's been on my mind lately is thinking about different ways and different times when I get stagnant art, meaning like I didn't stop doing it or didn't quit in these particular things I'm thinking of where I didn't, where I didn't quit or didn't stop, but where I want to do it, but feel stuck. It's just not flowing the right way. And th- this is something that I would love to learn more about. It's something I've been, been exploring. I've got some ideas about it, but it, you know, I don't want to harp on it too much. It's going to turn into I don't want it to turn into a sob story. Oh, poor me. I got this book and I was trying to do the thing and it wouldn't flow and blah, 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 you know, but anyhow, oh, no, that's, it's all good. That's, uh, I mean, some I'm, of my thoughts on that. I'm of the opinion that when you're making art, I mean, art is, is intended for uh, therapeutic purposes, you know? And so I think you, people who are, are just creating to create, you know, they're not even realizing and they're not over intellectualizing what they're doing. But I think that, you know, um, creating, the act of creating and the act of being creative. I think that's one of the keys to freedom, actually. Freedom oh, absolutely. From too, right. There was a conversation that chance was having with, uh, Oh my God, which episode was that? Who were you talking to? And I actually clipped a section out 
because it dealt with exactly what you were just talking about, that, that when you get into the creative process, you are directly connected to source because that's what source is. Source is this potential in this imagination and things that haven't been done yet. It's totally novel. It's totally new. You're in the moment going with the, you're making it up as you go along things that have never been done. It's, 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 you know, creative is creating something that didn't exist before. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about chance, which, which, um, yeah, I was talking to Gary Hummingbird on her podcast, soul nectar. And, you know, I was referring to, uh, the healing energy healing work that I do and how just to sort of put a cap on what you're saying that there is this feeling that people are prone to getting myself included this idea of uh imposter syndrome or whatever, especially with any type of arts that are for the purpose of trying to help other people. And it's important that <laughs> in those, those things that your authenticity is, is uh, aligned, but the trick to that or the, the cure to imposter syndrome is just don't be an imposter. <laughs> so, so like, I, you know, there's this idea that, oh, even your motivations could be unconsciously not aligned with the highest good or whatever. But I say, no, I say that you make the choice, you set the intention, you s- state the affirmation, you know, you give the blessing, whatever. And if you're, I, I always just, what I've come to learn is when I do my sound healing stuff or tuning, I've been calling, I'm shifting to just calling it tuning, not healing. But when I'm doing that, I always make the agreement with myself and the other person that there's no wrong way for you to receive this. However you experience it is fine. Don't worry. Even if you're like falling asleep and there's no wrong way for me to do it. All that matters is that we agree on that and that we set the intention of why we're doing it. We invite in higher self to guide the process. And then from there, I'm going to feel like I'm making it up as I go, even in a process that I've done over and over again, dozens, hundreds of times. And that's why it's the healing arts, <laughs> because you're not following a playbook. You're not doing what the insurance company gave you the procedural protocol for. You're doing what you're inspired and the flow state of the moment and what your intuition says is the thing to do next every time. And it may be something that you have done before or someone else has done before, but what makes it something that's never happened before, like Davin is saying, isn't that it maybe no one's ever had that thought or done that thing, but that in that moment, it's the uh, thing that's authentically emerging from the flow state as the intuitive next move without overthinking it, questioning it. You just are doing things and trusting. <laughs> and that's key that you really like, it's been an amazing journey to get into that particular stuff with clients doing the tunings because it's taught me to trust myself better maybe than anything else other than the path of being a podcast host where, you know, you you get over all kinds of self relationship issues, your relationship with how you look on the screen, your relationship to the voice that you have and all of that stuff. And all it's crucial to be able in all areas and walks of life to trust yourself so much that, you can be making it up as you go and still not feel like a fake, still not feel like you don't have the goods or the credibility because that is the goods <laughs> that is being connected to source. That is being original. That's what source is doing. That's what creativity is. It is making it up as it goes. And to trust that and not feel like that's fake can be a hurdle, but someone out there needs to hear that and <laughs> trust yourself. You know, you got this. It, 
don't you got to get out of the comparison game. The comparison game is what's making you feel like you're not authentic when you make it up as you go along because it doesn't look like the way you saw them do it or whatever. But that is not the path. Yeah, I thought that was just so profound. Um, I mean, just that whole concept of um, I'm sort of making it up as I go along. And then you said, wait, isn't that what Source is doing? <laughs> it just it connected so many dots. I was like, I've had these thoughts and feelings before, but I never... Um, I never thought about saying it quite that way. That just like, uh, it was a concise way to say a whole lot, you know? So well, I appreciate being... that you made that clip. It was great. Uh, that was cool. I'm happy to <laughs> be able to share that. It's, Anybody it's... wants to clip me going on a rant, I, I'm all for it <laughs> or anything from a show. It doesn't have to be me. It's interesting. Cause it takes us kind of back around to two places. One, it's addressing what, Mario was talking about with this, you know, connection between art and healing and creating, but then also the type of work that Rachel does, where she's looking at things like um, authentically sitting with yourself and appreciating that. It's some of the conversations she has that surround those type of issues, you know. It's not always easy. It's definitely very difficult to sit with your own authenticity, especially if it doesn't match where you are, right? <laughs> if any of us have that wound of not feeling or of feeling out of place, then it's much harder to sit with yourself authentically. It, you know, it's something that you have to work on. Some people have no problem with that. And that's, that's what you want to tap into. It's like, okay, why do I have a problem with this? <laughs> <laughs> Am I in my own way? Are the other people really in my own way? Is, is it really that? Or is it, is it me? I hated that phrase. Get out of your own way. When I heard it, I hated it. <laughs> so much. That's that's uh, reminding me of this thing that uh, Robert Phoenix was talking about when he was talking about this weird erratic orbit that Chiron has, where it travels out as far as Uranus in as close as Saturn. And then this also came up in the conversation that Kaylee and I were having about this, which is that it bridges this weird gap between two different domains. So you have Saturn, which represents. Uh, authority and hierarchy and tradition and following the rules and, and all of this type of stuff. And then you have Uranus, which represents like individuality and freedom and daring to march to the beat of a different drummer. And Robert Phoenix made the observation that as, as Chiron is traveling back and forth between these two domains, that is also part of the dance that we're doing in life is, is between, you know, it's like, okay, what's the, what's the Saturnian path? You know, that's where you, you go to school, you get the degrees, you get the good job, you make the good money, you got to marry the right person, you got to go hit the gym. This is bowing to the temple of Saturn. And when you do that, you get rewarded for it. In the material domain, you get the you get the money, you get the stable income that you can pay off your car and you can do the thing. Now, but then there's that other side of you that's saying, you know, I feel I feel a little bit stuck. I feel a little bit boxed in. Where am I going to get to express some of that individuality? What about the side of me that wants to march to the beat of a different? And this is uh, something we do throughout our lives is kind of navigating this little dance between these two different domains. And it's like um, we kind of have to satisfy uh, both. And then, and then part of finding balance and, and harmony is doing it in a way that we are kind of, uh, you know, finding a way that's that's both beneficial to ourselves and also to our family and the other people around us. And just, you know, it's a dance you're doing. You're finding out the, the way to navigate through. And 
make a little, a few little mistakes as you first start to do the dance. And then it gets a little bit smoother and more harmonious as you, as you get to know the terrain a little better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well put. I love that too. And uh, you said boxed in and you said Saturn. And so I'm thinking of Saturn <laughs> and the cube, right? The black cube and everything else. Man, you and can't then... say anything around the Sibali crowd without, without the, uh, the <laughs> yeah. things just like, it's like if there was like a bell that went off for the things that sync up, it's just like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Sorry, for didn't sure. mean to interrupt. You were going somewhere. Uh, no worries. Oh, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> so then I think uh, oppositionally to that, right? Uh, Saturn and Jupiter, Jupiter being more expansive and everything else. And Jupiter is the ruling planet of Sagittarius. Ah, right. So, Sagittarius again. I I need to look at that video again. And if the people don't know what we're talking about, if they haven't seen the video that Mario did on that (laughs) sync ups with Chiron and Sagittarius, it's like uh, the receipts are there, you know? It's like, no, this isn't like, uh, this isn't like, oh, there's a little bit similarity. Maybe they're kind of, no, it's like, no, he's got the receipts on this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of receipts, earlier when I brought up that the Kai Ro symbol, when you spell out Kai and Ro, C-H-I-H-R-O, you get 27, like Jesus, like Mercury. Uh, Ta-Ro, T-A-O-R-H-O, is also a 27. Very interesting, where you get the word tarot. Yeah, nine times three. Didn't... Didn't Gabriel hit on that one earlier? Or no, he was looking at the runes with the two row. Yes. Yeah. And then what was the one you just said, Chance? I actually, while you were saying that, I convinced myself we were going back to the thing that Gabriel said, and then I realized it was actually different. We've got another <laughs> tarot. Yeah, the Tau, like T-A-U, and then Rho, R-H-O. Oh, right, Like right. those two Hebrew gotcha. letters. But spelled I out in also English, a, you get the oh, you're 27. Right, yeah. Just interesting gematriological correspondence. I'm really I like I like all the ciphers, and I think that they're used in um, encodings by different groups. But I'm really thinking the spiritual traditions. We're really only cons- like thinking about septenary when it comes to English um, in their encodings. So that seems to be the one that does that fits all the the scripture boxes like the Bible. But that's a Topic for another time. <laughs> Gematria. Yeah. So I've got some subversive art that I made today. I'd love to share if anybody's down. Always yes. down. <laughs> Go for yeah. it, dude. This is kind of fun. So let's see. Screen share. Okay, I'm ready if you're ready. So this is... Antonio Guterres, and he is the United Nations Secretary General. Uh, and this image is him in Time Magazine back in 2019. And I've actually completely doctored up the image. It was very plain. It was very mundane. It was very bland. It was just him standing in the water. Well, they did give him the devil horns. That's always a clue when time gives somebody the devil horns, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah that's classic. Yeah, you got it. So I went ahead and I just started futzing around with this image, kind of bringing forward a lot of the occulted information. And the more I did, the more I saw. Uh, So I just thought it would be fun to kind of share it. Um, So his initials are AG. That's where I started. AG is the periodic uh, 
signed for Silver AG, uh, and he is in uh, finance, so that's quite telling. Did you catch that his name in English Ordinal is a 201, like your Jesuit 21 and your event 201? Interesting. No, but there is a Joaquin Boaz in, coming up. That is that is very interesting. Uh, no, I did not. I missed that. I'll have to throw that in the mix. Is that a Ordinal? Or septenary? It's ordinal. And when I say septenary is like the scriptural gematria, that's how I feel about it. But I think the, uh, you know, the powers that were like to use the ordinal gematria in their ciphers a lot. I mean, I I assume this because gematronators work. Derek, he just constantly proves that ordinal gematria and reverse ordinal and uh, full reduction is all over the place. But. It's it's really it's a lot it's a lot but it's gratifying once you get a, a swing of, uh, the the hold of it. So yeah, I took uh, Guterres, and I'm quite sure we're seeing a name of a uh, a Mithraic family bloodline uh, that is to gut Taurus. His name is the icon of uh, Mithra slaying the bull down here, gutting the bull. And the gutting of the bull ritual uh, was uh, the initiation of a blood bath. So he's standing up to his knees in water and he's surrounded in this red trim. He's totally engaging in a blood bath in plain sight that nobody nobody appreciates the, the telltale signs. But he is quite clearly in my eyes depicting a blood bath in this picture. So then uh, this center, you can kind of tell my, my print from the, you know, from the print that was on the cover. So originally it says rising seas, fleeing residents, disappearing villages. And then it said our sinking planet. And very quickly, I was able to pull out skin, ring, pla, and then I turned the U sideways. <laughs> and you get placento, skin ring placento. Very uh, interestingly layered underneath what he's saying on the surface. And he's wearing a wet suit. The placenta is a wet suit. <laughs> it's your scuba gear, right? So then I took the TI of Time Magazine, which was very clearly isolated. From the rest of the word, that's a two and a nine in ordinal reduced. And the 29th Goetia is Astaroth. And I only recently learned about this, but uh, the seal of Astaroth is a Jesuit logo. Let's see. There we go. Can you guys see that? Well, you overlaid the IHS on there, right? And you overlay the IHS and it fits this uh, T fits perfectly with the H. And this is a T and an I. This is a two and a nine. So TI being isolated is very clearly indicating this Ashtaroth Jesuit iconography. And then I just couldn't help myself. I couldn't leave the E unattended. The E needed acknowledgement as well. So I just put the star, which is part of the Astaroth logo as well. So you put the uh, the seal of Astaroth has a pentagram in it. 
So it's very apropos that the five stands out as well. Yeah, so that was kind of, and Rachel had a great point about the name Guterres. Oh, yeah? What's that? Guterres? Uh, yeah, it means he who rules. Oh, snap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Actually, kind of interesting. That That's the thing yeah. I picked up on, too, is the gut Taurus business, uh, yeah. because there is a symbolic overlap, actually, with the concept of the maze or labyrinth being related to uh, our guts, essentially, and kind of our guts being uh, like a labyrinth or like a maze. And then obviously, who rules the maze or uh, protects the labyrinth? And it's the minotaur, half man, half bull. So wow. anyways, that's what it made me think of the gut Taurus thing. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, in mercantile, like he's standing in mercantilism and you can think of like uh, supply chains as a labyrinth or a maze. So he's standing in the uh, the currents, you know, the he's flowing standing water. in the uh, he's standing in the maritime, the maritime. Yep. In time. And he's in the maritime. So with the snake, I have to bring up a fugus. Because here's the thing, by yeah. putting the snake in there, yeah, they're telling you, like, it's hidden. It doesn't exist. Ah, yes. <laughs> I so, just thought it interesting the snake on my screen. is spelled usually with an I in there that his version of it doesn't have. So, yeah. <clears throat> back to, I mean, not to harp on Gematria again and again, but the way that he's spelling his name is an alternate spelling that specifically gives you the 201. And they love that 201. Oh, so they do. <laughs> yeah, they adjusted for the gematria. Good call. So, so, so yeah. go, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, Just I, real I, quick. I, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I actually gave a subliminal advertising presentation maybe like four years ago. And mm-hmm. I went through all of these ads that I had in person from these old magazines from like the 60s and 70s and stuff. And uh, I went through them and, and broke down the best examples of certain subliminal techniques And this was after reading a book about subliminal symbolism and advertising. And one of these old techniques that I saw many, many, many times, I still actually have these JPEGs somewhere on my computer. Uh But um, one of the techniques was symbolically cutting off the people's feet who were actually in the ads. And they would cover up their feet. They would have weeds growing up over their feet. Uh, They were standing right behind like a log or something like that. But there was this theme of not showing somebody's feet and i don't know exactly what that represents on a subliminal level but these like cigarette companies wouldn't do that for no reason like they went out of their way to do that so that the two people the lovers who are smoking a cigarette or whatever so you couldn't see their feet and so i think of him as having chopped off feet and i'm wondering if this is some sort of ritualistic thing or something man makes me think that there's no foundation yeah or or in is saying, do you understand? Like, like we're going to project our understanding onto it. I well, wonder. Or maybe it's like uh, extraterrestrials in code. You know, they're not from this earth. They're not grounded. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like er- Eric Thonius, like lizard, lizard legs, maybe. Ooh, right. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Their no soul room. is cut off. That's a good call, Jenny B. Yeah, oh, no soul. Their soul is cut off. Foot. Nice. Yep. Yep. Or is it like an Atlantis thing? Like, you know, uber connected, like we're so watery, kind of like the Myrmidon thing. Walking on water. 
Gabriel, yeah, did you notice that this cover is from almost exactly three years ago to this day, from June 24th, 2019? Oh, shit. No, I did not catch that. So they released that in Cancer, you know, right at the height of the sun. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. That is super interesting. I didn't catch that. Man, <laughs> See, I'm glad I brought this forward. So, yeah, great. Great job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just put this out into the, uh, I think I put it on like David... No, no, Union of the one Unwanted Telegram today, just to see if it does the rounds. And I did another one last night, and this one is maybe just for our little circle. Uh, not for public consumption, but uh, this is big thanks to Quantum Carry on this one. She mentioned how much the Wajet reminds her of the Washington or the uh, Wall Street Journal. Wajet and Washington Wall Street Journal. And so I started looking at it and I pulled up the Wajet <laughs> and I pulled up the letters for uh, Wall Street Journal, WSJ, and I was able to configure the W, the S, and the J to look just like this, this particular depiction of the Wajet. Let me zoom in a little. Can you guys see? that you can layer the J and the S and put wings on it. And you're looking at this serpentine Egyptian character, the Ma'at maybe. But then here is an even more standard Wajet, the red hat, right? And I found that just very interesting because they have a red logo. Uh, traditionally, it's like a, you know, WS, uh, WSJ in red. And they presume to predict the future. You know, they're like prophets. They're, they're pretending. They're dressed up as prophets. Um, and I just found this headline in my search that they hit the 130-year history of the Wall Street Journal. And that just hit me on a synchro-mystic kind of way because 130 is a very strong indicator of this Belfagor uh, number that I've been coming across everywhere I look because it has one, three zeros intrinsic to its wings in either direction. It has a 13 knots on this side. It has 13 knots on the other side. So I just found it so interesting that Belfagor's prime was in a very subtle way, was encoded in that number 130. And so I just pulled this all together, and I couldn't help but I saw this cartoon. I just figured I'd throw that up in the mix, too, uh, with Al Sharpton uh, driving social justice warriors uh, into battle to do, his, to do his dirty work for him. Um, and I just think that is really something, that the SJW is also experiencing some sort of altered thinking or getting its information from not from themselves, maybe just some thoughts, but I put that together. thought I'd share it. Social justice warrior. Have you guys looked at uh, Saul Alinsky's uh, handbook for radicals or what was that book called? Something like that. The title you guys know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, but I've never read it myself. And in the older edition, he uh, has like a little poem to Lucifer in the beginning. 
<laughs> Whoa. That's cute. Because it now I got to go look at it. <laughs> I'll I'll send you a copy. It's freely downloadable on the internet. It's like it's at archive.org. You can download a copy. So uh Lewinsky, that you say Saul Lewinsky? Saul no uh Saul Alinsky. A-L-I-N-S-K-Y. Okay. okay. And okay. uh Rules for Radicals or Handbook for Radicals, I forget the exact title, something like that. And it's all about, you know, uh Marxist organizational strategies, but also revolutionary strategies. Um blame blame your target for the things that you do, cast it upon to them. And uh, you know, you know, all kinds of this business. Oh, that's what red is said and to take do. the Huh? That's, that's the nature of red. I've heard that red has an effect that people, other people's projections will bounce off of red and land all back on themselves. It's a I'm rubber, you're glue uh, color. <laughs> you know, all this talk of horses, and I forgot that our buddy Lucas, Elsie uh, King, has had a horse kick, <laughs> pun intended, earlier. Uh, I don't know how public that was, but... Gabriel and uh, Mario and I have a little private group of the four horsemen <laughs> with Lucas. And here's a graphic that he made and he sent this to me. Maybe he's watching. Shout out Lucas. He the man. Uh, and we were talking about horses, right? So I was bringing up the symbolic connection of Jesus in terms of the septenary, but Chiron, Jesus, Mercury, all these characters. Horus is one of the characters that mirrors the Christ story, the healer story. And uh, the scientific name for a horse, this is what he starts with here, Equus Cabalus, right? Equus and Jesus in the septenary are almost exact mirrors of each other. One's 54666, the other's 45666. Wow. So there's that. So four horse legs and two man legs equaling six total legs. That is very interesting because remember, we're talking about, or I was talking about the Nero's cycle, the 600-year cycle. There are also 60-year cycles that are important, and here it is uh, in the clock, right? It's divided into these six hours on one side, six hours on the other side. And hours, even, is an anagram for Horus. And and, and HRS is how Horus would be written without the vowels in, in the Egyptian script or the hieroglyphic script. So if you look at Horus without the vowels, it's HRS, <laughs> same as Horus. And ca- the word Kabbalah comes or is etymologically linked. I won't say comes from, but it is definitely etymologically connected to Kabbalah, which is uh, Italian and in Latin as well, referring to a horse. And so many, so much there, so much there, like so much there. <laughs> definitely some secrets here. I'll, I'll, I'll stop with that. There's more, it but it makes me think of human resources. Stealing mm. the hours of your life and calling you a resource. HRS, yeah, so this is a great graphic. Thank you, Lucas. Very cool, man. Yeah, his uh, numeric stuff is next level. <laughs> it takes me a long time to understand some of the stuff he puts out there, but I'm always better for it when I give it time. Um, I was going to ask real quick, Davin, so the artwork that you've been flashing on your screen, is that... Is that all your stuff or uh, kind of a mixture yeah. of things there? Yeah, these are my drawings. Okay, nice. Right on. Um, yeah, I need to check out more of your artwork, dude. Damon, yeah, do, um, do, you, do you keep your coffee cups? 
No, I don't. Because they they take up too much space. There's too many. I've got your Instagram then, open on another page. If you're down for me to share, yeah, you if should. you want to, uh, sure, sure, any, Please sure. Do. do you keep the pictures though? Um, e- even those, I'm not as good about keeping them as I wish I was. There's there's a lot of art that I've just completely lost track of over the years. Where I'm like, huh, I never kept that one, did I? Or I have a picture somewhere. And I deleted the folder and I'm like, oh, I guess I lost that picture, huh? So yeah, I need to. <laughs> have you already drawn everyone that works at that Starbucks on cups? <laughs> no. They might like it. <laughs> I, I, hey, yeah, I, I, I should guy. probably, I should uh, probably try awesome. that. I love nice. your art, Devin. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. It started when I was Especially a little kid. Thing. I, my, parents tell me that when I was a little kid, I was just never not drawing. And like, if they had to, for example, like they'd go, they'd go bowling with their friends or something. And they said, if they brought paper and stuff to draw with that, they didn't have to worry about where I was or what I was doing, or if I was happy or occupied or was I hungry or nothing. Cause they were like, you would sit down and you would just go and you would just go the whole time until we were done bowling. We'd be like, are you seriously still drawing? And um, so it started when I was a little kid and then I stopped for a really long time for reasons I'm I don't know what happened. And then I started when I really started again was around 2015 to about three yeah, or maybe 2000. Yeah, it was about 2015 to 2018. I was I was doing a lot more with art. I stopped again for a while and then restarted it again fairly recently. and. um I've been, but it was always like a hobby and it was always something that I just did for myself by myself. I never showed my art anywhere. I never, you you know, and uh, recently I started to realize that uh, I want to start doing things like taking classes. Um, Some of the social media stuff has been great because for the first time I'm like sharing my art and looking at what other artists are doing. And it's, you know, I'm getting like whole new entire concepts about what art is and what you can do with art, you know, things I never thought of when I was just doing it by myself. So the, the internet has been, has been great for some of those type of things. And then also to get some inspiration, like I, sometimes I see people that are totally like taking art to higher and higher levels. And I'm like, Oh, you know what? I sh- I could, I could be kicking myself in the butt a little bit more like, Hey, let's get in gear. Let's, let's get better. Let's do more. Let's, um, you know, instead of just staying in my comfort zone, Let's light a fire under my butt. Let's uh, let's go to the next level with this stuff. So I started to do a little bit more formal study. I'm learning about things like how to put more form and structure into your drawings, how to draw the human figure, how to draw animal figures, um, and and stuff like that. I'm starting to, for the first time in my life at 46 years old, I'm starting to be like, hey, maybe I could get a little more formal about how I study this stuff. <laughs> That's awesome, I never sat down and studied it before. I always just drew and drew and drew, but I never thought about it as something that you can study or get better at, or even like push yourself to do more or do better until like very recently. Very cool. So are all of those cups, uh, are you doing requests or are those all things that you wanted to do? Like the bad brains one. I have to ask about Brad brains because they were like, yeah, one of my so favorite bands. when I was, uh, middle school and high school, um, I used to play basketball on the school team and then 
I ran into some people who were into skateboarding and skateboarding was so much more fun. I totally quit all organized sports and I did nothing but skateboard for like years and years for a long time after that. And along with if this is a long time ago, this is back in the back in the 80s when I started. And if you go back to the 80s and the early 90s, all of the skateboarders were listening to punk rock and Bad Brains is a band that to this day I can I can put the music on and I'll be like, God, they still blow my mind. Like there's so much music I listened to when I was young that I was like, why didn't I listen to that? This is dumb now. Like, I can't believe I ever listened to that. I can't believe bad brains. No way you can put them on right now and it'll still blow my mind the same way it did, you know, <laughs> way back then. But um, awesome. yes, I would like to take requests. If people want me to draw shit on cups, I'll do it. Um, and yeah, bad brains. I think, did I answer all the questions? You did. You did for sure. <laughs> Rock for light. That's my favorite album. I don't know if you have a favorite of theirs, but Rock for me, light has an interesting uh, dynamic. Did you, did you ever hear the story? What happened with that one? The uh, producer, um, he said like he, he, in the studio, he manipulated the recording, which this is actually common. This is not like, you know, but anyhow, mm-hmm. he, um, he sped it up. And if you oh, try really? to, if you like play guitar and you try and play along with rock for light, I have a friend who's a guitarist and he told me that you would have to play, you'd have to either play or tune your guitar up to like, uh, F sharp instead of, you know, instead of like, if you, if you just do standing tuning on a guitar that the low string is going to just be naturally tuned to E, but rock for light, you would have to go up to like either you'd have to take it up to F or you would play an F to play. That's how much they sped it up. So that recording is actually artificially sped up and they're already super fast to begin with. So then to take something wow. that is that fast already. And then sure. also AHR is sometimes his voice can go really high and he's really, you know, and, and to take that and speed it up. I, I had this one friend who said, um, rock for light, like bad brains is already manic and rock for light is even more manic than, than usual. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. That's fascinating. I had no idea. Very cool. Hey, I'm glad you said guitar because we've talked a lot about visual art. I think we're referencing visual art more, you know, in general, but music, who's making music right now? You know, I was searching not very hard, honestly, but but there's a, there's a bunch. There's a Lucas makes badass music. See like true, like true music. You know, I'm, I know so many bands sold out in 2020 and it's, (laughs) I still love so many of them, but there's also like a big part of me that's like, man, I don't, I can't, I can't jump on your train anymore. Cause you, (laughs) you're just part of the machine, you know? So how do you, are there underground shows going on that I didn't hear about? Like who's making good and true music now? that's telling the truth and and where do i find it how do i find this is our community getting more musical should we should i pick up an instrument <laughs> i mean i you definitely to got a media monarchy it. a lot which with uh, james evan Pilato, and he he does like an all-day stream of various things he's like a one-man radio station and uh his community has a lot of musicians and bands that or at least some of their members check it out and they send him music and so he at the end of every one of his weekly episode shows, he does a truth music song of the day. So mm-hmm. you might, you might like that. Media Monarchy is the podcast that might lead nice. you to some artists that you enjoy that are also not afraid uh, to stand up to dumbassery. 
<laughs> I mean, because I know Spotify has gotten, first of all, they've gotten really bad um, with everything, but they were actually censoring artists. Yes, agreed, Jim. Well, I SB, think I'm interesting your album. When <laughs> Rachel yeah, brought up Turtles All the Way the Down, way that she uh, that said that, because I do think I, I've had similar feelings and thoughts myself. I've also heard other people say it as well. There does seem to be, it's not like the the music is not out there, the type that Rachel is looking for that she's describing, but it does seem like over the years, you've had to do more digging. You've always had to dig for it, but you've had to do even more digging and even more digging as the years go on for some reason. My next interview I have scheduled for Interverse is a conspiracy music guru of sorts. That would be interesting to check that out. I, I, I think I might actually know who that is. If it's the person I'm thinking of, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but um, excellent. If it's, oh, I just remember the name, but I'm not going to say it in case you haven't said it yet or it hasn't been announced yet. But um, there's somebody I'm thinking of who does that kind of work and has a lot of good stuff. That's pretty exciting if uh, if it's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, I love that you brought us to this part of the conversation, Rachel. It's like, that'll be like my next thing after the Marvel show that we have coming up tomorrow. Finally going to get to that Moon Knight episode three. Didn't work out last week, everybody. Of course, you probably realized that. Uh, so maybe we should make our way towards the wrap up here. I'm feeling that. Plenty of space and time for anyone that has closing thoughts or want to tie up loose ends from the conversation or promote something that they've got going on. Let's go around the circle and, you know, don't feel like you got to rush it. So that means we'll start with Davin and just go clockwise. Okay. I don't think I have too many closing remarks. I think uh, a lot of the big points I wanted to hit upon, I had the opportunity to do so. So thank you. A million thank yous for that. And also um, everybody who joined in the conversation, very happy to share this time with you and to have the opportunity to have this conversation. Um, I definitely got a lot out of it and uh can't think of a better way I could have spent my evening tonight. I mean, that was a lot of fun and got a lot out of it. Got to hit some of the things that I would have wanted to hit upon, you know, given the chance to do so and got to do that. So that's, that's, um, that's awesome. Yeah, man, you were great. This was great. Really insightful conversation. Uh, I try not to have expectations, so they're always exceeded, but this was exceedingly enjoyable. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that, too. Uh, honestly, the Chiron topic is so crucial and important, man. So uh, I need to listen to some of your uh, stuff that you've put out there in regards to it, because it is just when I came to the realization of what all of this meant, it was very transformative for me. And uh, just like what you're saying, these myths are built over time. So there's so much encoded and embedded in there. And I think we did a pretty good job unpacking a lot of it, but there's even more stuff that we didn't talk about. Right. Um, yeah. I think it's an yeah. infinite journey Especially for an improv chat that like nobody did any particular extra preparation for. We just came in with what we had and this was awesome. Yeah, really. And then what was brought to the table with the people who were here to bring things to the table, like you said, totally exceeded, <laughs> you know, we didn't come with expectations. Even if we did, it would have exceeded those. I'm glad all of you are here for that matter. That, this this vibrant thing couldn't happen without the community. I'm so happy to be a part of it. You guys make this really fun and blow my mind constantly. All of you here and others that come on occasionally and people in the chat. Amazing. All stars. 
Yeah. Uh, when, uh, when Mario was talking, you actually did just accidentally remind me of one thing I did want to add at the end with closing remarks. I had one little thing. So one of the things I was doing on the Telegram, I'm totally new to doing this thing of like setting up interviews. You know, I've got four that are already done and then I've got a fifth one coming up. And, but, um, I, because I've never done this before, I'm totally new to this process of how do you reach out to people and ask them? to come on an interview and I'm finding out I'm actually really a little bit like, I don't know, there's, there's a little bit of shyness. There's a little bit of uh, apprehensiveness and there's like a little bit of stuff that I'm like, anyhow, I've been putting the message out on my telegram page, few other places that I actually have an open invitation going that I, I really like to hear real stories from real people. I'm not looking for famous people, people with reputations, people who this, that, the other, like real actual people who tell real stories. I think about the time before the internet, when I was growing up, when uh, there was no internet, I'm actually old enough that there was no internet and there were no cell phones. The phone was stuck to the wall with a cord and you could only go as far as the cord would let you go, this type of thing. But anyhow, the point that I'm making is at that time, because there was no internet, people were not sitting inside and meeting online. Everybody was hanging out outside and talking to each other. And I used to hear the most amazing, best stories and meet the most interesting people all the time. And I'm trying to recapture some of that. So if there's people out there that if there's anything we talked about tonight that they're like, I have a story to tell, I have a message to get out, or I just want to have an interesting, fun conversation, could be something that's motivational, could be something, so many different things it could be. If you feel the the urge or you feel inspired that you want to do so, I've got this open invitation going. Uh, find me on Telegram or the other places we are on social media and, and let me know. And I would uh, see if if I could uh, sit down and we could have a conversation and put it out there. Nice, dude. That's great. I would love to have a Chiron conversation with you at some point. So I'm grateful for this whole crew. Chance, thanks for hosting, dude. It's always fun. Um, But yeah, those are my closing thoughts. Nice. Uh, Damn, this is great. I'm so glad we're on here. And uh, like you mentioning the bow and uh, and the musical instrument and their relationship, isn't that so appropriate, you know, that you and I share that affinity for a very obscure uh, instrument that is points to that northern location? Uh, it's called the Birambao. For anybody who doesn't know, Davin and I practice the, the, a very uh, obscure art form that has a musical instrument that is a bow that is based on um, it even has a stick that is very much based on archery. So it's just so amazing that we're having this conversation on this topic. And I got to point something else out that hasn't come into the conversation. And that is that that North Star, Polaris, is used for guidance. It gives guidance. And one of these days, Davin, you and I are going to get together and we're going to do the guy <laughs> dance. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Well, that be. I like the pun and the language trick you. The um, I like the pun and the language trick you did there with guy dance. But you're making me feel the need to reemphasize the that song that uh, Paulo Stojandos sang. That Caporta is not just a guy dance; it's for men, women, and children. Right on, right on. <laughs> it's part of the Caporta story. I have to put it out there. It is for men, women, and children. It's in the songs. It's in the tradition. It's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Devin, for this entire chat. Um, I would love to talk with you a lot more about Chiron because it's, it's definitely a good conversation and it's very broad. We could really touch a lot of different things with it. Um, and I think it's also perfect timing with the mirror episodes that we're putting out with rising from the ashes right now, because you attract what you put out. (laughs) So it's probably a good idea to examine. So that's going on. Um, Chance, thank you for hosting. It's always a good time and you're a wonderful host. Um, And as far as things going on, it's, we've got some mirror stuff. Uh, We're going to start reading Anastasia on Thursdays for anyone who is interested in listening. If you like ringing cedars or are interested in it, that's the new book. And just lots of art. Got lots of art going on. So see you guys on Spiders. And yeah, all the good stuff. Love you all. Love you all. Yeah, see you guys on the Flow State on Weaving Spiders. Uh, always a fun time. Man, <laughs> PK says, no placenta in Gabe's closing. I'm out. <laughs> Total ripoff. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we were a little light on the placenta this time. Didn't talk about it for two hours. So <laughs> no, he brought it in a few times. We brought it in. I know, but that's light. That's light placenta. Beforehand, I was like, I was like, I think this is going to be the one. That's three, three placenta casserole, and he totally brought it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I love you guys. I'm gonna, I guess, hit the button. Thanks so much. You're all amazing. Always a fun time. Catch you guys much, later. Much love, fam. <laughs>